adventure climbing on the mountainside welcome everyone to july 28 1990 in the legacy series it is another saturday night's main event it is just before the royal rumble believe it or not we are halfway through this year of 1990 and this is an episode as i just told my co-host i might have to figure out in part how i felt as we talk about it it is hard to say sometimes when the fault is on the company or the fault is on the viewer because we have bad weeks or we're busy or we're taking a lot in or we're not concentrating. So I want to be very specific and mindful in figuring things out because if you've been listening to the show regularly, you know we have been tracking a downward trend. Even when we've enjoyed the WWF in 89 and 90, we are seeing that it's not, say, 87, of course. Uh, our prof, one of the great listeners of the show, added this in the LOPforums.com. He said, it is becoming more and more apparent to me that No Holds Barred was a stark fork in the road for the promotion. One road said Stan Hansen and Dusty as main eventers, and this was the road not taken. The other road said Zeus with a straight line to Warrior, and we are witnessing the consequences of taking the path right now. So that is an interesting statement. You know, that is a fun thing to think about, especially that comment Zeus with a straight line to warrior, because on one way we can say, please don't blame the talent because it hasn't mattered if it's been Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan or warrior at the top it has still been trending down. The feuds have not been the same. The attention to detail has not been the same. Uh, and I think that's just factual. And I don't know what Ms. Fan will think. I was in a uh, comment section um, on YouTube in 19, not for 1990, and I saw a lot of people saying the Warrior had really good matches with Rick Rude and Ted DiBiase, and his reign is underrated. So our good match is coming when we start seeing them today. Um, did Ultimate Warrior have a chance? If we if we claim Randy Savage didn't have the feuds that he should have had, did Warrior have the feuds that he should have had? So there's a lot in there. And we're going to start breaking it down. And since I have no idea, I'm going to stop talking and maybe get someone into this conversation who knows what he's talking about. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome to another edition of WWF The Legacy Series. We are midway through 1990. As my wonderful co-host has said, and uh, I will give you a warning, the comment section of anything is a terrible place to be, so I am sorry that you went through that. But uh, <laughs> as for these comments that you've seen, um, perhaps in the eye of the beholder, I have heard these claims as well, yet I believe we have already come to and passed the point where these supposed matches are supposed to have happened. Uh, I think at least one of the rude matches... We did say was um was 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 approaching good perhaps you know was a lot of uh, work and thought and effort put into it maybe even at the last SummerSlam I can't recall specifically which is the match that um kind of stood a little bit above the rest but uh but but good underrated mm, 
I, I, no, I don't think so. I, I think I hear the tones of nostalgia talking. I think I see the rosy glass of uh, a certain kind of glasses being uh, applied. So, I don't know. If other people like to think so, that is up to them. Uh, I will say... I, uh, I think I'm feeling a little more excited about this episode than you are. I think uh, I got some nice old vibes of some older stuff in this episode. Not perfect by any means, but uh, I'm actually looking forward to talking about not everything, but quite a number of things on this show. So I, I think we'll be able to dig up some good stuff before we get to the end. Yeah, I do think there are definitely highlights. And like I said, I'm not making a judgment. I feel like I do have to talk about it to figure it out because... Uh, I just I traveled this week is my first week back in my apartment in like seven weeks. So uh, I got four classes to prep before next week. So I got a lot going on. Plus, we're all living in the world that we're living in. So there's a lot to be distracted by. But then again, I know that that is in, in one way, it's a reasonable excuse. I think it's the truth. But there have also been weeks in the Legacy series where it would not matter what's going on. WWF would pull me out of it, at least for the moment. Yeah, very true. We're not we're not at the peak. I don't think we're gonna peak again till what ninety seven maybe, except maybe a, an odd week, an odd month here and there. But uh, yeah, we're we're not the highest point. Oh no, wait, we we got like uh, that late ninety one, ninety two period. That might yes, do it yes, too. Yes. So I'm I'm not gonna undersell that. That could be some of the best stuff we talk about. Yeah, that. And also, there's a, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Like when we get into the weeds, I want to know who are the predecessors for the Bret Hart style because we act like Bret Hart just reinvented the game when he went singles. But we're going to talk about Rick Martel, we're going to talk about Tito, and we're going to talk about Perfect. So I want to really get into some things. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Uh, to respond to your Warrior comment, I think almost I think what I'm seeing at least is the, a lot of the positive comments for Warrior don't even come from fans that enjoyed him as a child. It seems like those fans are like man, I like this as a child, but now it looks silly type thing. I think the kind of revival for Warrior came from the WWF putting him in the Hall of Fame and his passing away. Like That's what I'm seeing, at least in a lot of the comments, is, is people, you know, it's almost like a pushback for every time we have a narrative that's so specific, you're going to get a pushback eventually. So I think that's a whole different thing. Uh, we're trying to call it, honestly, um, I don't know. We'll get into the match, but did you think Warrior Rude from tonight was better than some of his stuff or no? I mean, it's better than the worst of Warrior. I, yeah. I thought um, it was kind of weak. Could have been worse, certainly. I'll, I'll have a few comments to say about okay. that. Um, I will also say about the Warrior pushback, I definitely think one factor is uh, the narrative is so strong that Ultimate Warrior uh, is terrible. Yeah. You know, um, that's so prevalent. That if you hear that, you hear that, you hear that, you hear it enough, you go back and watch it and you think, well, you know, I was expecting like he would just fall over, you know, or, you know, like your expectations couldn't be lower. So if you see it with that perspective going in the first time, I think maybe it does change your opinion of it, um, especially if you're maybe just watching a match or two. You know, it's a very different perspective, I think, than watching uh, a great deal of stuff the way that you and I had. And that's not even to say that that perspective isn't valid, you know, for what it is. It is what it is. You see what you see, what you think, what you think. You can't be expected to study all of wrestling history to make sure your opinions are <laughs> right. But uh, I do challenge those people to watch a lot more Ultimate Warrior if they really want to maybe get uh, a fuller picture of his ability. 
Absolutely. It's hard because I've never known how you can be objective. You got people that try to come from that standpoint, but I just don't know how you do it. I think it ends up in your felt sense, your viewership, because, you know, part of what's been strong for me is not only am I not enjoying the warrior, but the ratings dipped from WrestleMania five to the point they wouldn't have a rematch. But yet I looked at the ratings for 91. It looks like warriors year. If I'm seeing right, is going to blow out some of the numbers. But maybe that's not the live gates. Maybe that this is the buys. But you know, you get into that stuff and it blows. It contradicts itself. Like you got one thing that says this, one thing that says another. So <laughs> at the end of the day, you just got to go with your opinion. And my opinion right now is not only am I not, I'm not enjoying the warrior, but I think it's also a lot of it is creative too. But also the year is passing by really quick, and just like the warrior running down the ringside, I feel like the legacy of the warrior might just be kind of a blur of a year that doesn't stick <laughs> like maybe someone else at the top would. Indeed. Uh, it's interesting to talk about, yeah, the rain's going down under Warrior, but also still going down when he wasn't there anymore. I think uh, it's sort of like the knock-on uh, Triple H effect. You know, there's definitely a period where Triple H will be like the biggest name, quote-unquote, in WWE, who'll be on top of everything, and ratings will go down, but... Uh, you know, the question is, is it because of the guy on top? Maybe mm-hmm. yes, maybe no. It's also because they're booking a different way. It's because circumstances have changed. It's because fads have changed. You know, it's never just about one guy. And sometimes when you start to slide, it almost doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Until you find something really hot, um, it's just going to slide anyway. You know, you've kind of tipped it in that direction. And when you have that momentum, it's really hard to break it. Absolutely. We do have a lot of amazing stuff for you, though. If you're listening right now, I didn't know this. Miss Van, again, has delivered big time with the bonus stuff. We're going to determine an intercontinental champion today. I had no idea that was coming. That's going to be big. I think we got a lot of great stuff from WWF's mid-card and a few that we're all talking about in LFPforums.com is Bossman versus Slick, Akeem, and DiBiase, and we're going to drill down deeper into that feud this week as well. So, um, I don't know where you want to go, but I'm just going to kind of let you kind of talk to us about what we're getting into now. All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's get into it. I'm super excited about some of this bonus footage. It's not as crazy as Andre and Giant Baba sitting next to each other, but I think uh, there's some top quality stuff in here. So um, the first match we have chronologically, we're going to go to April 30, 1990. Big Boss Man versus Ted DiBiase in Madison Square Garden. And that gets my blood pumping right away just to hear that. But as the man said, we are also going to be talking about some vignettes, some scenes where Ted DiBiase will be going down to Cobb County, Georgia. He's going to take that trip to Cobb County, Georgia, and he is going to dig into the past of the Big Boss Man, or so he says... He is going to uh, bring some people on screen to describe the past of the big boss man and try to disparage him with everything he's got. So I'm excited about these vignettes, about this match, this whole feud. This is one of the top things for me. And we got to talk about it now because I don't even know it's happening anymore at SummerSlam because these two are not together. So mm-hmm. this could be a very special summer-only feud that we are going to talk about on this episode. And I'm excited about that. And- yeah, we got ahead of the WWF. We peeked at that card and realized they're not even doing Bossman DiBiase. So uh, Ms. Fan did the leg work. He did the dig, and he took that shovel out. And we're going to do it like his SummerSlam the week before SummerSlam. You really have to respect, I think, 
the the model of the WWF at this time. I don't know when this changed exactly. I don't know if we'll even be able to tell, but man, like the luckiest audiences of this time, I think are the people who can afford to go to house shows because they're seeing more blow-offs, more classic matches, more uh, exciting stuff. I think that hardly anybody, if you're just watching on TV, like you'll see some good angles, you'll see some squashes, but you, you're not going to see too many matches like the one we're about to talk about. And you know, that... That, that would just be a shame for me if I were watching at the time. Maybe I wouldn't even know it, but man, like, I would want that house show ticket. I would want to go see this match, that's for sure. Yeah, man, that's that's absolutely true. This is coming out of the era where the house show is the biggest thing. I don't know if it's still completely there at this time, but it still uh, is big in the model. And that's another knock on the warrior. I think, I don't know if this is true or not, I just heard this said on the podcast that there might have been a Madison Square Garden with 1,500 fans during his reign. So I believe you know, it, yeah. Things like that. It's still hot in MSG. I'll say thank God for MSG and whoever put that deal together because they are going to continue to tape their house shows into 1992, which is going to give us some uh, wonderful footage to uh to tack on as bonus to these shows so that that's a beautiful thing i give great thanks to whoever in madison square garden whoever in the wwf made that happen because that that's super cool yeah I, I didn't even know about these i probably had watched some but i didn't know that this was a thing and so it has helped us a lot it has been beneficial uh we also have um prime time yep. coming soon where they will be around the table it's a strange thing. This is the world I have been in in my entire life. Like every WWF show in the late 80s and 90s seems so specific. It seems like a universe, a world, and it's amazing. And they all last for a little bit of time. And then comes Raw, which to me has nothing special, nothing that matters. Is the worst idea they've had the entirety of the time, and it's the one that will it's the one that will live forever. It does kill me that that prime time was sacrificed to make room for Raw. It just it's just not right, but um, it is what it is. So uh, we'll we'll see some good stuff from Raw, but man, nothing's quite like prime time. So I get you. Yeah, so we're gonna get into it. Uh, we got a lot uh, to talk about. Uh, I know a lot of people are into the Bossman DiBiase feud, so we will definitely do it uh, justice to the best of our abilities. All right, great. Let's talk about these vignettes. Let's take about that proverbial trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, that we're gonna hear about in song before too long mm. um yeah we got ted dibiase he goes to Cobb county georgia with virgil and uh, we're gonna see just a bunch of vignettes in a row i've posted the link to this on lop forums and uh, on twitter so check it out if you haven't already apologies the video is just a little bit low quality uh blame the wwf for not posting uh enough stuff from this time period on the network and believe me i do blame them for that um so, yeah, I don't know how specific we want to talk about these. Ted DiBiase talks to a lot of people. A lot of people reveal kind of some uh, bad facts about the big boss man. We don't know for sure if they're being uh, sincere, if maybe Ted DiBiase uh, paid them a little bit to say that. But uh, some interesting stuff here, some creative insults towards the big boss man, definitely revving up this feud to be as hot as it can be. This is very special. If you are into characters and stories, absolutely watch this and this is probably what i would have done at the start of the show if i wasn't a little a little out of it today but here's what i've been thinking the heat that came from this to me and i said this last week and i believe it more now was the reaction that slick and akeem have had 
to the big boss from his decision not to take that money. Mm. And that's a funny thing because, folks, here's a lesson free of charge from this show. When nothing in this world makes sense, when people's behavior can't even be figured out, there might be something deeper behind the scenes. There might be something bigger than what we see. And to me, how can how can they be so mad at the boss man? Like he did not take the money, but they not only ended up being paid money, but then DiBiase upped his money for Slick and Akeem. Like they ended up making more money because of Bossman's decision, but they're so angry at him. They're not going at him simply because they're paid. They are hostile to him. And I honestly believe, whether consciously or subconsciously, there was a little bit of conviction, not meant by the boss man, but a conviction on Slick and Akeem in that if this guy who is one of us, he's with us, he came out from us, if he refuses to take the money, is that some kind of statement on our character? Is he saying that we should not take the money? So I think boss man hit them somewhere by accident because otherwise, why would they even be mad? And that feud to me has been the heartbeat of this feud. Like DiBiase is the one who is literally fueling it with his money. And now we're coming into uh, boss man and DiBiase. But the heart of that originally were these three friends and this terror that came between them. And now, Bossman has not said, like, I'm a really great guy. He's just saying, hey, this is my standard, my professional standard. But now we are going to destroy his character. And I obviously think we'll get into it. I obviously think some of these people have been paid. But even if they haven't been paid, it doesn't change the fact that he chose not to take the money. Mm. So there's all this slander this coming at boss man and all he did was make one decision. It is a very interesting dynamic that we're in this fan. It is. It is. There's definitely some character assassination going on here. And I think, yeah, you have to look at the reason for that with Ted DiBiase. We know it's all about power for him. More important even than winning is to show he has power over people. So he's going to do everything he can to rip down big boss man. But I love what you said about slick and Akeem. Also, I think you're right that it hit them in a tough place when Big Boss Man decided to do something different than they do. We all have that instinct. We want to be part of our tribe. We don't want to disagree with our tribe. But uh, if someone breaks out, that does hurt. And I think it also has to make them worried. Well, if a guy like Big Boss Man can uh, kind of do an about-face like this, you know, this is our partners, somebody we trusted, that's got to shake your world a little bit. And that's, that's going to make you lash out. So, man, there's some... Very interesting stuff going on here. It's great for me to see after a fairly lifeless WrestleMania where almost nothing had any reason for it happening, and then a Saturday night's main event after that, which was also disappointing. Now, in some of these matches at least, I feel like we're getting back into the good stuff. You know, Bossman and Akeem, they were at those shows as well, but uh, it was almost an afterthought. The matches were like a minute long, and, you know, it just wasn't about that, it felt. It was still good, but here we're really getting into it, I think, digging into that character stuff, digging into what makes these feuds hot, what makes them interesting, and uh, I'm very pleased with this feud, and these segments I think is very good. Did you tell me one week that Slick would be a babyface before he left the WWF? <laughs> he will be Reverend Slick, and he will be on primetime in front of a green screen of a stained glass window giving mini-sermons week to week. And, uh, yes, he will be a babyface, 
in other areas as well. A real-life conversion prompted him to ask for a babyface character, and uh, great for you, but like many other careers, that kind of ruined it for things on screen. So uh, I don't know why that happens with wrestlers. It happens now and again. It's going to happen to Slick. But until then, we're going to enjoy the ride of Heel Slick because it's brilliant stuff. Okay, I, I just want to plant the seed of a wild fan theory that the reason that he is reacting so strongly against Boston and making a decision that really doesn't affect him is the first seed of that potential babyface turn was planted when he saw boss man do what he didn't think boss man should do, could do, or would do. <laughs> it's possible. I like that idea. I think I'll end up liking it more than the uh, actual impetus yeah. of the face turn, which is just uh, Davy Boy Smith slams him. He goes away. He comes back as a face. So he just slammed the evil out of him, I guess. Uh, so I, I like I like your version a lot better. Yeah, it's just, that's what's so great about this feud is it, it just – it feels like they overreact, and but but it feels so genuine at the same time. Yeah. And I, I like that. Like also, it made me ask a question, and it's a weird question because we are actually living in a world where we're supposed to call these people good guys and bad guys. And Bobby Heenan was the top bad guy. But my question was, DiBiase was almost the next guy up to Bobby Heenan. The way they were booking him, he took Andre, yeah. he took the world title from Hulk Hogan. And aside from the fact that nobody's Bobby Heaton, so we're not having that conversation. We're having more of a storyline conversation. Is part of the reason that DiBiase did not fully become the next Bobby Heenan, is it because he was too evil to be the top bad guy? (laughs) Perhaps too evil, perhaps too self-destructive, even more than these other heels. I feel like he is really, really obsessed with just showing that he has this power and he will pursue that end to the point where it could even hurt himself. Like you said, this is, the, you know, Bossman made one decision. It would have been so easy for DiBiase to walk away from this. And yet, not only does he not walk away, he does the most opposite thing you could do. He goes to Bossman's childhood neighborhood and digs up people to talk shit about him. And man, like the, <laughs> the mindset you have to have for that to be your reaction, that's incredible. So yeah. Ted DiBiase, like he, he's out there on another plane almost with the things he will do with the money he has in order to get one up in his own mind on somebody else to show he has that power. He is a lesson to me for what all of us need to seek to be less of because, <laughs> like you said, he should just leave this alone. He looks better if he leaves it alone because his million-dollar man gimmick – was it going to bother him if one person doesn't take his money? Because like every, there's probably a line of people who would, but he cannot have that happen. Number one, because of his gimmick. Like if everybody has a price, then everybody has to have a price. But this is also a guy who cannot feel comfortable going to Cobb County, Georgia. Like the way he presents himself, the way he behaves, there is a chance that, especially we got the first man who supposedly was in jail digging behind him because that's become his job, his life, but DiBiase's lucky he did not end up in a hole in the ground before he left town, and he has to know that, but he is so bent on proving this point that he will go against probably his own comfort in order to make the point, and that would be admirable if his points were not always so disgustingly selfish and just out of this world bad. 
I think uh, if you took DiBiase, if he had a, a genie who could only grant him one of two wishes, and you asked that genie, hey, you know, for Tia DiBiase, Ted, you can either win the world title and hold it forever, or you can prove once and for all that everyone really does have a price. I, I He wouldn't even think for a second. Mm-hmm. He'd jump on the second one. That is his strongest motivation in life by far. More than winning matches, more than winning world titles. Like like you said, you almost have to respect how strongly he sticks to his creed here. Like, he's a true believer, you know. He's not lying about that. He really yeah. believes that. He needs that to be true. I love what you said. He'll go against his own comfort. He'll even damage himself at times yeah. to prove that that is true in his own mind and to the world. That's an amazing thing because two things come to mind when you say that. Number one is the simple fact that DiBiase has already proven that, you know, because he probably could have been world champion and he's always gone off course. I think the word prove is so important. He's always proving and There's just people you can't prove things to. They're not meant to be in your world and you're never going to do it. Uh, the second part of that, this is a guy who they openly say was modeled after the closest thing to Vince McMahon at the time. And it's funny <laughs> to me that WWF has hurt and sometimes in the storylines, the ratings, because it's obvious the fans want something. And Vince McMahon simply wants to prove that he makes the final choice. So I think this character is so good and so consistent in what it is because it is simply modeled off someone who is there for it all the time. Yeah, I'm Ted DiBiase, that, that's a wonderful point. Uh, Ted DiBiase, I got to say, one of the MVPs of this series, I think. Maybe a guy we don't even praise enough. We do yeah. praise him, but, man, like, he could be a top five, like, all-rounder in terms of the guys we've watched so far. It's true. I, I don't think we praise him enough, but it is the fault of the character because, you know, <laughs> he's always running off screen, and we can't just chase him down when he's a mile away from everybody else doing something that is not even respectable. Like, if he would stay on screen for five minutes, you know, be part of the organization and be a decent human being, it might give us time to compare him with the rest of that world. <laughs> you almost have to pity the guy because uh, I think he'd blow every cent of that million dollars if he really could just prove his point once yeah. and for all. But you never can prove that, so he's really chasing something that can't even be achieved. <laughs> Absolutely. So he's with the guy with the shovel. We ask him, have you ever spent time in jail? Don't be scared. Uh uh, was the boss man fair and just? And we find out, my goodness, he was not fair and just. He would he would go into the cell and all night long just beat this guy up, which is just it's not only a horrible thing to do, obviously, but my goodness, you talk about you know commitment like all night long. So <laughs> you get these cute clues that these might not be actual people in the boss man's life. Indeed, their claims uh, become quite extreme to the point of being a little bit ridiculous, or maybe a lot ridiculous. So. Yes, this poor man got all night beatings from the big boss man, he said. Yeah, that's a lot of stamina. So, you know, it's almost a little impressive on boss man's part. It is. And then, especially for someone so dumb, because they're going to talk to his teacher and they're going to ask, um, was he was he a good student? And immediately, no, probably the worst student. Uh, did he make B's and C's? No, he made F's. Uh, so, again, there's no room for gray area. He was just the worst student ever. He never made anything but an F. My, uh, so, yeah. 
my favorite bit, probably of all these vignettes, is right in this one where they talk about, oh, well, he even cheated off the other kids, but he still got F's. So it's oh. like they have to pile one thing on top of the other until they have things that don't even work together. But as long as they're bad, they're just going to throw them all on the pile for the big boss man. So that, that that's great. I love that. I love that, too. That This is this is good stuff, like we said. Watch it. Uh, you said the word prove, and then I see at the bottom of these notes – uh, DiBiase said it's proven what I've said all along. So again, prove, prove, prove is DiBiase's kind of uh, anthem. Oh, so important to be right. And this is why he can't be Bobby Heenan because I don't think Bobby Heenan would get this stuck on proving something. Like he would just say, "Oh, I never said that." He'd go on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, he'd just lie about it. He'd, he'd, you know, keep going on. Ted DiBiase, man, he can't let go. He can't let go. Here's a here's a. Um, I wish I I took a philosophy class a long time ago, but I I don't have any stand. I need I need another one so I can have these conversations. So I will turn this over to you and the folks at home. Uh, which one is more morally just? To be super committed, brave, and righteous to just the most reprehensible thing like Ted DiBiase is, or to be to not be that way because you're a lying weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's a broad question. I think you almost have to get into specifics. But honestly, it's probably the lying weasel, because I think at the end of the day, they're going to cause less damage in the world than the true believer who is out for the wrong thing. You know, that that's a that's a dangerous man. So I'm I'm just on off the top of my head. I'm going to go. The weasel is probably more morally just in a weird way than the guy who's trying to be true to what he believes in. But he believes in something horrible. Yeah. And I like that to even think about whether that's the truth or not. Like Ms. Van said, you might need to drill down to specifics. But a lot of times we're going to see the monster, the DiBiase, in someone else. We're never going to see it in ourselves. So it's an interesting thing to me to strive like, Lord, please, when I'm on that path, please help me to be a lying weasel. You know, that's just an interesting thing to to aim for. But like, I think all of us probably, on some minor way at least, probably should have been the lying weasel at some point in our lives and just backed out of something. Probably so. Yes, if being a lying weasel means you can admit that you're wrong and move on to yeah. the next thing. Then that, uh, or even just move on to the next thing without admitting you're wrong. Yeah, just, just, just get stop off causing harm in the area you were wrong in. You know, that that's something at least. Yeah. And this again, like this conversation that we're having that we did not plan, like this is really the test for this show, I think, beyond our opinions. Like we can say I liked or did not like this stuff, but it's always the storylines that are kind of had that flavor of 87 that just naturally just open up to this kind of conversation. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's it's a bridge between 87 and that that 91 period we keep talking about, I think. You know, this is where the flavor continues. This is why. Uh, at least some people, I assume this is why some people kept coming back. If I was watching at this time, I would not be coming back for Hogan and Warrior, but I'd be coming back for stuff like this. Yeah, this, this has been, uh, really good. And, uh, I'll just hit these really quick because Bossman was on the football team, but he was no good at football. And then he wasn't, no, he's was no good on offense. So was he a guard? And the coach says he guarded the water bucket and he looked at the cheerleaders. So that was his, uh, role on the team. Um, <laughs> then after that, oh, we get to the neighborhood and, uh, Apparently, he bullied this guy, and DiBiase says, you know what, you look a lot younger than him. And so, yeah, he bullied people, but only if they were a lot younger than him. And DiBiase asks, says, what would happen if he faced someone his size, like myself, who looked him in the eyes 
And the kid says, you know, he wouldn't even do something like that. <laughs> so uh, he was just a bully who beat up little kids, and he was a weakling, too. And just every bad thing you could think of is the big boss man. So that that is what we have learned on this trip to Cobb County, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, it is bad quality. But again, if you're into character development and stories, check those out because they are top shelf. Uh, and they show uh, a lot about the Million Dollar Man and maybe a little bit to nothing about the big boss man. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, though, if you were a heel, probably every one of these things would be true. So, again, it's that uh, divide creeping in. Yeah, it's that narrative building. And one thing I think the boss man, he almost looks like he's in pain sometimes when he's called on to do a promo. So I don't think he's a good verbal guardian of his character. And I think that's somewhere that Slick and DiBiase, who are great at the narrative building, can run circles around him. And you're going to see when we get to the match, a very frustrated boss man. And I think it's part because they can run circles around him unless it's in the ring. That's interesting. I never thought of Big Boss Man as a guy who struggled to do promos, maybe because a lot of the time he's just barking out very simple things about yeah. justice. So I don't know. Maybe open that up to the listeners. What do you think of Big Boss Man's promos, if you have any opinion? I'd be curious to see uh, where people land on that. Well, even the simplicity, though, cannot sometimes. You can't just say, boy, I'm right and I'm going to beat you for it. You know, when there's been six accusations from Cobb County that will. you're a horrible human being. <laughs> That's true. He does not respond very eloquently to these accusations, so I will definitely grant you that. Yeah, that's the, you know, if we're trying to say that this is a feud of that of the magnitude of those going by, you know, and maybe you don't, maybe you do, and maybe you don't. Maybe someone can say there's an ethos and integrity to the fact that he won't even like address it. And but there is something ironic if you wanted to support DiBiase about a guy who was abusive all his life, supposedly not defending himself and only saying, you know, I'm going to beat you up, you know, for what you did. I'm abusive. I'll abuse you if you say that. <laughs> hmm, okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm starting to sense a pattern here. All right. Yeah. That's interesting. He really should have been a baby face all along, you know, yes. because uh, his attitude is very much like that. He's got a prop, you know, he'll beat you up after the match. Uh, he'll abuse you for uh, any crimes you might've done. Yeah, he, he was a babyface all along, so here we are. Yeah, I think the only the, the the way we know he was not a bully and an abusive cop is the fact that he came in as a heel and not a babyface. <laughs> <laughs> if Hacksaw Jim Duggan knew his story and that story was true, he would have been teaming up with Hacksaw. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a uh, – well, no, I'm not going to even get into yeah. that. All right, let's talk about the match here. <laughs> let's talk about the match. <laughs> All right, so I uh, posted the link to this as well. Um, we start with both guys uh, already in, in the ring, about to start the match with DiBiase. Um, is uh, kind of playing keep away. He's, he's running out of the ring and um, <clears throat> not wanting to get involved too quickly. And uh, this is interesting. This is uh, shades, I think, of something we're going to see a lot more of before the end of the year. Bobby Heenan kind of storms away from commentary uh, from Monsoon and Hayes. I think probably he just had to uh, prepare himself to like go out and manage or something. Mm. But uh, we will see a lot of conflict between Big Boss Man and Bobby Heenan before the year is out. Oh man, that sounds good to me. Like that is that's like a WrestleMania main event in the making. <laughs> you are correct about that. I'm very excited to get into all of that. One thing I noted earlier, yeah, DiBiase's rolling out. He won't get in the ring, and that's a, a heel tactic to the point that you can almost tune out 
But it felt like there was some urgency of like, no, I really don't want to be in the ring with this guy and his nightstick. <laughs> Absolutely. He really plays it up, staying away to the point that um, the boss man gets on the mic and runs him down and has some harsh insults yeah. for him. So much that uh, Lord Alfred Hayes on commentary is uh, speechless and maybe even a little offended by the language used by the big boss man. Yeah, a new phrase for me, Lord Alfred Hayes says, you think he might be over on fire <laughs> indeed he questions if he's over intense and yet uh, as soon as dibiase gets in boss man gets the advantage so uh, alfred hayes backtracks that right away i've said it before i'll say it again i really enjoy alfred hayes on commentary he brings a different flavor he's very much uh, to my mind simply just calling what he sees he's not afraid to uh, say something that he then goes back on later you know, he's analyzing in real time. He doesn't feel super prepared uh, yet in a good way. And I really enjoy that piece of his commentary. I honestly think if he had a greater body of work, he'd be in the conversation with all the top announcers every single week. I think he easily could be. I don't think they probably wanted to put him on TV just for the fact that, you know, uh, part of commentary in WWF is they really want to push a certain narrative. I don't yeah. think Hayes would have done that. But, man, whenever he gets a chance... In one of these matches, I think we have Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes on commentary, which is just like a beautiful yes. team that definitely deserves some recognition. It's funny because he's going to be with Mean Gene later, and if he has <laughs> got too much integrity to be in the booth, he is the, the anti-Mean Gene. So that's an interesting relationship now that I think about it. Oh, man. I'm gonna, I, I, I'll just say some very silly segments coming up, but ones that I enjoyed. So we will talk about those as we get there. I'm also having a thought here in my notes that I that I did not think about. So based on this conversation, DiBiase, we said something else great about the 87 style era. Like everybody has something and they drill down on it, not in a singular way. But Bobby Heenan, he's a weasel. Yes, but he is the brain. Like like it or not, he is the brain. So Ted DiBiase is not the brain. And when he is rolling out of the ring and he looks like he's legit not wanting to be in the ring with a boss man and a nightstick. I wonder if what's going through his head is like, I heard all those guys I paid and all the awful things they said about him. I don't want to be in the ring with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a strange time brand for DiBiase to sort of buy into the thing that he actually yeah. bought himself that wasn't even true. So, oh my. <laughs> I am now convinced of that. Oh, man. I'll say when they get into it uh, in the early part of this, um, I'm getting vibes of years to come attitude era a little bit because boss yeah. man is mauling him. He's brawling him. He's choking him out with the microphone cord, which will become a very common spot around 97, 98. Um, but we see it here already many years before it's time. So uh, so we're getting we're getting a little bit of attitude, maybe not with the capital A, but definitely some attitude here. Yeah, I think we get profanity twice in our yeah. between our. I can't remember where else it happens. Bossman is one of them. So, uh, I like that you point that out because again, these are the things about when you do the leg work. Like we think that anything that we put in the brackets of an error began and ended in that error, <laughs> you know, and that's just <laughs> not true. It's never true. So we're we're gonna unearth it. This is what unearthing is all about. We're digging up this stuff that a lot of people uh, may not have had a chance to see. So I love it. Yeah, so this one does start off with a lot of energy, uh, at least in the boss man part, because boss man, is, boss man is not trying to wrestle him again. Boss man is angry, and boss man is out for revenge. Um, and DB, heels are interesting characters because they always work people up 
to this degree, and they are the only ones who are going to pay the price for it. <laughs> Indeed. I like that you said Big Boss Man is angry. I think that goes back to uh, to to what we were saying, that he, he almost should have come in as a baby face because baby faces get angry. Heels, they're just, like, smug and cowardly, yes. and he was never that. So, like, he's, 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 he's angry a lot, and I think that's why he made such a good baby face. You know, he's got... Uh, maybe a little Ricky Steamboat vibe where he's just angry often and, um, you know, he brings that energy to his matches and it makes the matches better. But, hey, you really got to acknowledge, man, this guy is angry all the time. So, you know, I guess we're not going to talk about that, but that uh, that is something to bear in mind. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, the place I've seen that mostly is when I was a kid and going to church. And the more legalistic you were, the more angrier you were about other people not doing everything because – like when you get older and a little sharper, you think, well, if those are things you walked away from because you didn't want, I don't know why you would be that angry, but maybe there's a part of you that actually wants those things still, you know, <laughs> but the baby faces have no rules. They don't obey rules, so they can't be angry because of that. You know, so I don't know what causes baby face anger because it's not like they're lifting up any banner other than self-righteousness based on nothing at all. I mean, it probably goes back to the childhood, right? That's where all these things go back to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All baby faces were raised up uh, with rage, and all heels were raised up to be kind of uh, spoiled, and, you know, they're just smug. So that that's the dividing line, I guess. I think the marker is, if you watch this era, like, if you want to know who's the baby face, like, who is instantly angry. You know, I think heels, even Bobby Heenan might try it sometimes, like, you know, oh, he said this about me. Gene Eriklin's going to tell him to shut up, and they're not going to give him a microphone to express that. <laughs> so it's also, you know, getting a voice. Vince McMahon is also behind that because that's all Vince in his best days would do in the booth is just remind you again and again that, oh, you see those 62 bad things that the babyface is doing. Remember that he'll did that one bad thing to start all of it. <laughs> you know, I never thought about it this specifically before, but anger really is a babyface trait. In yes. wrestling, heels are rarely angry. You know, they're either smug or they're scared or something. But, man, faces, they get angry. And, of course, it's meant to be, like, kind of a righteous rage. I guess it makes sense because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about fighting. And, you know, being yeah. angry in a fight is not a bad thing necessarily. But, yeah, just anger is a good thing in wrestling. It's a baby face trait. I never thought about it in those terms exactly. And sometimes it can make sense. Like, I understand why Bossman's angry, you know. He had his whole hometown exploited. I think he was lied about for the entirety of it. Sure. You know, but this happens in every single angle. And now I'm wondering because the great baby face of 84 till now is Hulk Hogan. Like that's just it's it's almost impossible to have a great baby face title reign. And he was just a guy who carried the belt. And I'm wondering in part this Sting and John Cena, for example, who always seemed to flop in the being the world champion, especially Sting. I don't know Sting this stuff as well, but they are rarely angry. Like they're hurt, you know, and they have to react because someone did something to them. But anger, I think, is the thing that keeps the baby face as the chaser, which they always have to be for it to work, even when they're the world champion. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And you look at Hogan and Funny enough, I don't feel like he was angry often. He was like the one who was confident, self-assured. Um, you know, he'll he'll try to get revenge sometimes, but even then, like I don't get that feeling of uh, anger um, in the same way. 
Like, he's not fire like Randy Savage was no. as a babyface or anything like that. You know, he's so uh, – he's kind of meticulous in a weird way. I don't yeah. even know how to articulate it exactly, but it's something like that. He's working the same weapon as anger, but I think it's because he there's a lot of earth in him, the, the manipulative rhetoric. But it's the same thing when – he takes a feud like he he's the guy who told us he was going to turn on Randy Savage at some point and that Hulkamaniacs had already <laughs> turned on him. But it's when he starts saying like, oh, not only was Andre the Giant, you know, not a mentor, but he was evil all along. Not only was Randy Savage, you know, when he starts doing that thing, that is doing the thing of anger, which is reframing the entirety of the thing, redirecting, changing who's in the driver's seat. You know, I feel like. There's something within all of that, even if it's expressed differently. And the baby face has to do that thing. They can't just be coming back or reacting, especially if they're the world champion, because then the main storyline is Cactus Jack is challenging for the world title. And like, that's not, it can't be the storyline thing. Like, you know, it's got to be something else. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I'll have to think on that more, to be honest. But uh, there's a lot going on in there. So I'm, I'm glad we kind of cracked that open a little bit. Okay, so meanwhile, while we were doing that, Ted DiBiase had a sleeper on the boss, man, I think. <laughs> I think, uh, going back just a little before that, what really makes this match interesting to me, uh, above and beyond, like, I knew it was going to be good anyway, but I think it's elevated further because uh, I am a, stuck, a sucker for a match with a unique hook, a unique piece of psychology. Mm-hmm. What happens in this match is Ted DiBiase gets a hold of the nightstick. When the referee isn't looking, he hits Big Boss Man in the ribs, and the whole match after that is built around this rib injury. They're talking on commentaries like, oh, he, he could have a cracked rib, he could have this piece of cartilage torn which makes it hard to breathe all this stuff and it's just executed so well and i've rarely seen a match built around like rib psychology like you usually think it's like a limb or something you know we, we've all kind of see that stuff and it's very cool but you've seen it before here it's very much centered around like the rib cage and it's just very interesting. Every time Bossman fires up, every time he comes back, Dead DBS can go back to this rib injury and shut him down. And he equalizes the size difference and the rage difference and everything with this very specific tactic. And I just think that kind of stuff is so cool. You know, there's a level of authenticity to that that goes really deep. Uh, this match is probably it's it's probably one of my favorites that we watch in this series. And part of that is the energy. Part of that is these two are so good, but part of it is just, it has this great story that you will not see commonly. And they really work it perfectly on both sides. So I really got to give a lot of credit to both guys and to this match. I am so glad you dug down there because this is the very last thing I watched. So I think I'm going to do it a little quickly mm. because there was a um, parental block on it for some reason. on Daily motion. <laughs> Uh, yes, apologies. If you try to watch it and you can't figure it out, please message me. Daily Motion does not make it easy to turn that off for no. some reason. So uh, let me know and I, I will help you through it. And it is not adult content, so I don't know how it got flagged that way. But um, no. yes, uh, do watch the match if you can. Sorry about that filter, uh, but sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you made the match better because I, I remember getting to like two bear hugs from Teddy Biasi and the <laughs> announce booth talking about he might be bleeding out of his mouth. This is going to send him to the hospital. Alfred Hayes says, what do you think these people are made of? And I'm like, they're made of being able to, to sustain the bear hug. But, you know, now that you put all that together, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So maybe uh, a closer eye on this match will improve the experience. So uh, I, I see where you're coming from, certainly. 
the one thing I'll give both of them, and I put this in my notes, is whether it's how they move in the ring or the psychology of wrestling, I think both of them can do this in their sleep. Oh, yeah. They're so good. They're just wonderful. Yeah, both of these guys are so tremendously talented. Both can make claims to being MVPs of the company at different times, and uh, I, I think it's just great to see. I'm glad they had this feud. Glad we had this match to watch. It's very good stuff. Yeah. It's one thing about Dustin Rhodes using the natural. I can't believe that that wasn't used before because mm. there are people who are naturals. And then like some of the best people might not be naturals. They might learn the business. But then there are people who, whether they're the best or wherever they rank, you start to really believe they, were, they must have been born to be professional wrestlers because it just comes way, way too naturally to them. Mm, indeed. Indeed. For sure. I uh, I wonder if Dustin used it because a lot of these guys we're seeing like they come in and they seem great right away, but who knows how many years they had like before this to yeah. kind of get to that point. Dustin though, we're gonna see his career basically start I think before the end of the year, and yeah. then he'll be the natural in the next year in WCW. Yeah. So he really did pick it up like unbelievably fast. Uh, so yeah. maybe that's the reason. But it is a good point. Some of these people are just so naturally good. It's uh, it's very amazing. Yeah, we're only a few years off. Bossman just being picked up as a bodyguard, kind of, and you know, so he hasn't been—he wasn't even in the business that long before he gets to WWF, and he's just really good, like smooth uh, in what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely, one of the top big men ever. He's—he's he's super good in here. I will always uh, talk about his his punch, which is uh, almost second to none. It's definitely in the very top tier of punches. Uh, his energy, the way he moves, his the speed with the size he is. Like, uh, you know, there, there's the Vader tier, and then there's one tier down when it comes to, like, these quick big men. I think Big Boss Man is number two on that list. Yeah, Boss Man is definitely up there. We talked about that in WCW, the Legacy Series, with Vader versus Boss Man. So, yeah, oh, those matches are so good. So yes. good. Go watch them again right now if you haven't. My God. Yes, absolutely. Virgil is also underrated. That man works hard, and he's always involved in these matches. Yeah. It's unfortunate Virgil has become kind of a punchline, you know, and uh, there are various reasons for that. Some fair, some not. But, yeah, Virgil in this era always works hard to my mind, and uh, he will get his due credit when we get along to his uh, moment in the sun, and uh, he will earn that moment. He will help make it happen. So some good stuff coming for him. Yeah, I think he comes in off the um, distraction, and then DiBiase gets the million-dollar dream, you know, on an already beat-up boss man. Indeed, but uh, since Big Boss Man cannot win this match through brawn, he wins it through brains unexpectedly. He gets a small package, and he pins Ted DiBiase in the middle of the ring to a very nice big pop. Yeah, and yeah, if you're a Babyface fan, uh, Boss Man came in angry, and he came out victorious. DiBiase came in, you know, not angry and ends up stomping around at the end of the night. So so it's a wonderful night for the Babyfaces. <laughs> And that, in a nutshell, is kind of how wrestling is meant to go, I think. So, yeah, yeah, some very good stuff there. Uh, Yeah, check out this match if you can. Keep a close eye on it. If you can, I think uh, you'll be rewarded for your trouble. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on chronologically to the next match we're going to cover here. Very interesting match from Wrestling Challenge, May May 13th. Uh, it's another one I put a link to. A lot of links for this show, so I uh, hope you're able to follow along with those. What we have here is Rick Martell versus Roddy Piper in the first round of one of the weirdest tournaments that wrestling will ever have. We will see the finals of this tournament 
which, you know, I, I think both guys got a bye to the finals, so that should tell you some of the weird stuff that happened in round one here. But, uh, yeah, Rick Martel and Roddy Piper wrestling on TV, no less. That's exciting for me. The fans are excited. The pop is very big for Piper as he comes out. Rick Martel is deep into the model thing at this time. He has his arrogant sprayer. Uh, yeah, this, this, this match, uh, it's not too long, but I think they put a lot of energy into it, and I'm glad we had a chance to check it out because I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a match, at least on paper. It could be a SummerSlam or WrestleMania as easy as, you know, as it is here. I like that, again, it starts with a slugfest. We got a lot of model, Tito, and Perfect, so I'm going to save some of this when I find it in my notes, but these three wrestlers, Rick Martel, Tito, and Perfect, are so varied. They're technical, they're high-flying, they're aggressive, they're hard-hitting. It blows my mind like how many boxes each of them check. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, you're going to draw some comparisons to Bret Hart later. And uh, if your point is that People were doing the Bret Hart thing before Bret Hart, you know, and maybe arguably better at times. Then uh, I will not be arguing with you because I definitely believe that. Yeah, I think my point, and I'll find it in the notes, so maybe sure. we'll talk about it a little bit then. But, but the, it's just I never hear the conversation. Like, I know he was trained in a wrestling family, but like he's going to come in, and when he does, he's going to have some of in his singles run. Some of the most realistic matches to give credibility to a sport that desperately needs credibility at the time that he takes over. Um, he's got some of the most unique finishes, and nothing touches that. That deserves to be in the case that it's in. But just like everything else where we said things don't begin with and end with one error, they don't begin and end with a wrestler. And I think sometimes we, we act as if he just pulled that stuff out of nowhere. But when I watch these three guys, to me... I see shades of everything Bret Hart will be, though on a bigger level, because he's going to be the world champion and carrying the company. But I, like Bret Hart can stomp and punch and do all that stuff. He can snap off drop kicks. He can do unique finishes. All three of these guys can do all of that, too, is all I'm saying. Oh, absolutely so. Uh, three incredibly talented guys who, yeah, I think um, were uh, hugely influential on that style, which would become uh, more adopted by the WWF as they attempt to kind of recenter, re-anchor the more serious side of their product. And I think you only have to look a little farther at other people who came through. You know, we've seen the Brainbusters. We watched mm -hmm. Barry Windham come through here. Uh, you know, soon, like we said, we're going to have Dustin Rhodes. We're going to have a lot of people who I think uh, could also make a big claim to that style and to being uh, incredible in that same vein. It's it's so special to me. We're about to see in a minute after this matchup, which we'll get into in a moment. We're going to see Tito and Perfect as the final match, and I did not know that. And we are now going into that IC era where it is just a wrestling a wrestler's wrestler dream. Huh. And I do think there's almost two great IC title runs or kind of errors in a way to it, to my mind. And they, 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 they are, they run straight out of each other to the point that Bret Hart will be defeated by the bulldog who will be defeated by Shawn Michaels. But Shawn Michaels is not a Rick Martel, Mr. Perfect, Brett, in my estimation, like he's something else. You might like it more, you might like it less, but it's not exactly the same thing. Bret Hart has this error that's going to include Perfect, Piper, and these kind of guys. And I think he's going to elevate that style of the IC title 
into the world title. So I just want to build this thing that Bret Hart is part of, but it's not exclusive to him mm-hmm. because it's something really special. And Sean's going to be more flashy and he's going to go another way. But I want to make sure because this stuff's going to be here and gone in a flash. And I want to make sure that we nail down how special this group of guys really are. Oh, absolutely. And I will definitely not let that opportunity pass away from me because you're definitely talking about some of my favorite all-time guys, guys that I personally like even more than Bret Hart, even though uh, certainly he became the bigger name. And as you say, he kind of brought that style to the main event, uh, either by circumstances or force of will or both. But um, yeah, no, so some very good stuff that we're going to talk about there. Um, As for uh, Piper and Martell, as I think we mentioned, it's kind of a short match, but it's a very energetic match. The pace is fast. The crowd is hot. Uh, We do get a lot of flurries of punches especially from piper and i'll just say you know piper he's kind of entered that hit or miss era but man when he starts throwing those punches it still gets me you know and it gets the crowd too there's some very good stuff going on there absolutely but you gotta give credit to the model too because he starts off this match in a slugfest with roddy piper so you're in the wrong strategy and yet he's standing his ground in a slugfest with roddy piper absolutely and that because we know deep down rick martell can be just as fired up if not more than anyone in the business he's still got those abilities even if uh, his character is not really geared that way anymore i'm gonna time out one last time and then we'll get right back into it but (laughs) all good you know, Bret Hart is going to defeat Ric Flair for the world title. And Ric Flair is another guy who's not one of these guys. And Bret, I never pay attention to Bret Hart's critiques because they always only come after he, someone, he doesn't like somebody. But <laughs> while we're having this conversation, it just hit me for the first time. Like his great condemnation for decades of Ric Flair is that he does the same match over and over again. <laughs> and like I've always seen that in the critique of Ric Flair. You know, and Ric Flair, I can't remember if this is Buddy Rogers. Or someone, I think Flair has said that I might be getting it wrong, Buddy Rogers or someone would do certain things at every single show because he knew if you're coming to the house show, you want to see that wrestler do that thing. Mm. And he never wanted someone to go to a show to see him do a certain thing and he not do it. Yeah. So that was the Ric Flair mentality. And, and there's a lot of good that can be said about that. So I'm not knocking that. But now I'm seeing why Bret Hart picked that argument in a way, because if you, if you frame Bret Hart in this conversation where he's with Rick Martell and Tito and perfect, and they're all different than all the eras around them. They're different than Michaels, who is super athletic, super showy flair, which is like the endurance man and does all these things and storyteller. They really are. Their bread and butter is their variety. Like they are, they are, they are hard hitting brawlers. They are technical. They are high flying. They are, they're anything that you ask them to be. So I've always seen the critique of Ric Flair and what it means from Brett to Flair, but I think I'm starting to see where he's positioning himself, and I think it's out of this same conversation that I'm seeing with these guys. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation that we'll have to get more into. Um, all I'll say to that is uh, atomic drop, headbutt yeah. to the midsection, second rope yeah. elbow drop, you know, there's like, <laughs> <laughs> Bret Hart, you, you, you've been known to uh, kind of have a pattern as well, so don't pretend just because you came up with some good roll-up finishes that, uh, you know, every match was a shining, unique snowflake in the uh, the span of the cosmos, so that we'll talk fair. about that as we get there, but, you know, yeah. there, there's there's a conversation to be had on both sides. 
Yeah, I just know, yeah, I agree with that. You can't be a world champion and, not, and that not be part of the the deal. Yeah, uh, but I I just think that's interesting. And so, <laughs> you know, these are just conversations that I'm sure will come back later. Uh, Bobby Heenan is a rock star in the announce booth. He says in the beginning, yeah. I think Mark Martell will prevail because Piper will lose his temper. There's so much psychology, credibility, ethos to the wrestlers that he can say that. And then he brings it up the entirety of the matchup because he is so sure Riley Piper will lose his temper. <laughs> it's great stuff. It's also very nice continuity. It was just 1989 where these two were literally uh, attacking each other at times on the uh, set of primetime. Um, we didn't get a chance to see it, but uh, <laughs> Roddy Piper, his last uh, appearance hosting primetime was a Christmas show where Bobby Heenan at the end told all the children that Santa wasn't real, and mm. that made Roddy Piper physically attack uh, Bobby Heenan. And uh, that, that was the end of Piper on primetime. So clearly these two have no love for each other. Um, they've had terrible feuds, and I think it carries over here that Bobby Heenan not only dislikes Piper, but also knows a thing or two about Piper. And uh, he ends up kind of being right at the end here. So uh, it tells you another thing about the brain Bobby Heenan. Yeah, that there's a something to Russell episode. They botched that whole thing, and so the kids the kids are asked to stay up late, and all they find out is that Santa's not real, and then um, Santa the Santa jumps on Bobby Heenan, and it's just it doesn't go the way it was meant to go. Uh, I didn't know that. I gotta say, having watched it, I thought it was great. So I don't know what Pritchard wanted it to be, but uh, I think it's a great episode. It's very fun stuff. Yeah, it's been years since I heard that episode, but I know they got a lot of letters. Uh, from parents on that one. So <laughs> just because he didn't actually said that Santa wasn't real. I mean, did the kids believe him? You're not supposed to believe him. Like, was, what's up with these kids? Does another Santa come out or no? I think. I mean, Bobby even dressed as Santa because he lost like a trivia contest or something, and then I don't remember all the details. Okay, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was I can't remember if a real Santa is supposed to come out. I think Piper might. Um, get ahead of things. I don't, I can't remember now. It's been way too long, but I know there was a controversy and there was a lot of letters that came out of that one. Cause they, they specifically asked the kids to stay up late uh, for the Santa announcement, I think. Oh man. Well, I, I don't know about that, but uh, I'll say it was a lot of fun for me to watch. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Anyone listening, Santa's really not real. So don't send <laughs> us any letters about that. So <laughs> My goodness, sir. <laughs> I never Jamie? believed in Santa. I can't relate to any of these children, yeah. so I, I got nothing for them. As long as they can be- believe again by December, they'll be all right. <laughs> you know, got, they got a while. <laughs> there you go. Oh my! God. I saw two things that you said. This Gorilla Monsoon uh, responds pretty much. He discredits the whole Heenan, like he might lose his temper by saying, you just don't like Roddy Piper because he, he took your place type thing. And when Heenan leaves the booth in the last match, like – Gorilla Monsoon is just dogging him, and and uh, <laughs> what Alfred Hayes pretty much says, he's actually a, like a very credible guy who knows a lot about the business type of thing. In response, Alfred Hayes is so sweet. He's like, oh, I'll miss him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Monsoon's like, no, don't miss him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, it's uh, well, you, of course we remember as well. Um, Bobby Hina had one of his men hit Monsoon yes. with a stool on prime time, so maybe he's still sore about that. Um. It's that love-hate relationship. Monsoon can't help but dog on Bobby Heenan and uh, vice versa. But you know they love each other. So yeah, 
I honestly think Heenan's, the way Heenan leaves the WWF is one of the greatest yes. in the history of professional wrestling. Every heel should leave in some version like that, in my opinion. I, all we got so many times now where it's like, oh, you know, let's all like break and hug each other and, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be like a different thing. But, man, just like I agree. That's like the perfect exit for any heel. And that, you know, that should be the standard, the gold standard, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a combination to me of how he leaves and by whose hands. Yes, so good. So good. Every year should leave kicking and screaming. That, <laughs> that would be my dream. So this one is going to end in a, what you would think, there's a lot of these matches that you always think is going to be a double count out or something, and it's always going to be the heel, I think, is DQ'd. <laughs> I, it's kind of clever, though, because, like, they both go outside, Martel gets the perfume gun, uh, Piper gets a chair, oh, Piper, like, that. uses the chair to shield himself from the spray, which is a nice touch. Piper yes. very good at those touches. And then they fight with the chair, and it is a double DQ. No more tournament for these guys, but still a very fun match. Yeah, that, that's a great spot with the chair. And it's, it's such, we, we condemn Roddy Piper when we don't enjoy his stuff, but if you just took him out completely, you also miss this kind of stuff, which arrogance is becoming such a big weapon. And he just showed everybody there are ways around it if you're smart enough, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it is a very smart spot. And I'll say, as much as there are definitely some Piper stuff that I would not want to watch again ever if you paid me, uh, I would never get rid of Piper entirely because, like, when yeah. he's good, he is one of the best. And I just, I, all in all, I really enjoy Roddy Piper, you know. So you get you get the good with the bad, but the good is so good, I wouldn't I wouldn't give it up. Yeah, and if, if more people watch more wrestling, he just shut down the great Muda, too, if, if you're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, anybody who likes to spray things, you know, yeah. like he, he's got the... But he didn't win the match, so it's not a perfect counter, so, you know. Yeah. It's strange to me that he would even want to win it. Like, one of the strangest things we're going to see in this entire series is for a moment in time, he's going to be a champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is kind of weird after so much time. I don't know. We'll talk about that more when we get there. Maybe yes. it'll more, make more sense when we see it then. So I was so – I had no idea, like I said, who were the last two in this tournament, and it did my heart good. Like We have condemned a lot of creative choices in this part, in this run, but this is a beautiful choice that they're, they're going to make. Absolutely. The final match of this Intercontinental Championship tournament vacated after WrestleMania. It's going to be Mr. Perfect and Tito Santana on the May 19 edition of WWF Superstars. And I'll just say right now, thank God we are getting back to the real Intercontinental title, the one that I want to see, the title that they call the workhorse title sometimes, because you couldn't find two better workhorses than these two guys. Either way it went, this would have been brilliant, because uh, Tito's amazing, Perfect's amazing. The Intercontinental title, after sitting around the waist of some real slobs, who couldn't wrestle if their life depended on it. It's going to go back to people who are just beautiful, amazing workers who are going to be just great, great matches in this division and just be everything I want the Intercontinental title to be. Yeah, this is the era I started watching in 91 where these guys were... The IC title's got a heck of a run for many years to come. Oh, man. It's incredible. Like, about this time in 1987... Steamboat uh, unceremoniously lost the title to Honky Tonk Man, and that title's just been in hell for me for the last three years. And now I'm just very glad it's finally coming home. It's getting released from captivity 
with all these other guys it's been on in the meantime. I will say this. The years of good IC title matches that are to come might very well justify the Ultimate Warriors year as world champion. If if that's what it took <laughs> to release that IC title, then maybe it's all worth it. <laughs> that's a tough one, but uh, you may be right about that. I, I will give some credence to that statement. It's just so many years. Cause I wanted to say like two years and three years, but like, you know, you got everything we talked about, but then you're going to have Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels in 93, which is going to be really good stuff. 94, you're going to have the ladder match. 95, you're going to have Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. So, you know, it may not be consistent all the way through, but you're going to have <laughs> top rate matches for at least at least half a decade. And I can't even remember what comes after that. So I'll just stop there. No, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff with the Intercontinental title for sure. And I bet we even dig up some stuff that we, we don't even know about yes. or we forgot about. So I hope so. Yeah, it's going to be great stuff. Um, I would say uh, this match, I love this match. It's, uh, you know, it's a TV superstars match, so it's not incredibly long. It's probably less than 10 minutes, but, man, it is so good. I'm so glad they got a chance to do this match. They're going to have a rematch on Saturday night's main event, which is going to get even a little bit more time. That was going to be a wonderful as well. Uh, I'll just say, like, imagine how much would the standard of WrestleMania um, 6? It was 6 we just watched, right? Yeah. yeah. How much would that be raised if you put this match on the card and send Bruce Beefcake to hell. I don't know wherever the hell he goes. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Like, no, you know, nobody's going to hold that intercontinental title anyway. After Hogan warrior, just vacate it before put that match on. Then you have like a barn burner to kind of anchor the main event and I, or to anchor the whole show. And I think it's a much better show because of that. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with WWF. And I think Beefcake perhaps, was supposed to win the title at SummerSlam, but I think maybe he's going to be injured or something. Yes, and <laughs> I'm always hesitant to uh, celebrate that because it's a yeah. terrible injury to Beefcake. I, I don't want to be that guy exactly, but I will just say I was very glad that uh, it went another direction, even if the reason is uh, a little bit morbid. Yeah, you, what you have to celebrate is how many years of great IC title matches we're going to get because there's always – it's not Beefcake. There's always a Beefcake, Honky Tonk Man, Warrior <laughs> – there's always someone who can ruin this in the WWF landscape. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Instead, we're going to get uh, Kerry Von Erich, who we're going to be introduced to later. And uh, I don't know about you. I don't mind that so much. You know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But, yeah, perfect in Tito. Like, you couldn't ask for a better Intercontinental title match. That's like a dream match. You know, that should excite you just hearing that that match exists. Yeah, I really want to honor these men as the ones who are going to usher in the rain to come and they are so good that Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura are going to have a heated argument before the match even starts about who is better and I think this might be the first heated argument between Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon that one of them at least is not saying something absurd (laughs) yeah you may be uh completely right about that because uh their points are that these two men, you know, are respectively awesome, and both of those things are true. So it's a great way to put it. Yeah, that blew my mind because you rarely get that. But either Vince is being ridiculous and it's it's unironic, or Jesse's, you know, being a heel, you know, who's being absurd because he's a heel. But this is just who is better between these great men, and the answer is both of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, Although you have to uh, acknowledge the fact that a good part of why Vince doesn't like Mr. Perfect is just because of his name. Because nobody's perfect, yeah. Jesse. 
and uh, just just calm down, buddy. It's it's a nickname, so. <laughs> yes, that's just classic announcer Vince McMahon. Like you know, <laughs> can't get over that. Like he could now become the greatest human being in the world, but you know, he said he was perfect. You know. <laughs> Is this they, the one they where should he, say, well, I think he just about is perfect, Jesse. Yeah. No, no Saturday Night's nice Main Jesse and Jerry's going to destroy him, I think, in one of these matches. I think it's the <laughs> second one. So. Oh, I can't wait to get to that. But, uh, oh, man, this match is so good. Uh, there's no sign of the genius, which is cool with me. And uh, we're going to see the reason for that very shortly. I think probably everyone knows what it is. But uh, in the meantime, the match itself, like, it's so great. I love the way Mr. Perfect moves, not just the way he bumps. And I love his bumps. Some people, if you think they're over the top, I get it. But, man, to me, it just works. It works for the crowd. Also, just the way he feeds, the way he goes on offense, everything is so, like, assured and on point and to the max. And then you have Tito Santana, who's another one of these guys who's just incredibly fired up at all times. Everything he's doing is so on point. I really love this match. It's one of the best Probably probably one of the best like TV regular TV matches that WWF did in this whole entire era. Yeah, people talk so much about Perfect's uh, selling, but watch him like hopping before he does his knee raise, like he's charging up his leg, you know, yes. getting all that momentum in the leg, you know. And then Perfect starts with a go behind, and Tito just elbows him so hard because, like I said, mm. these guys have every style. So we're gonna see some chain wrestling after that, but at first it's like nope. Choose not to chain wrestle. I'm going to get aggressive and knock you out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, just awesome stuff from these guys. I I don't know if they came around. If they come around a little bit later, what do these guys do in New Gen? You know, I think we've talked about that before. But, man, just like it's so rich between them. Everything they do, it's just great. I really can't praise these guys enough. It's like top, top tier stuff. <laughs> And I've seen chain wrestling in the NWA my whole life, but I've never seen chain wrestling with such biased announcers. So we get chain announcing. So uh, Perfect does um, starts off the chain wrestling, and Jesse says, good wrestling by Mr. Perfect. And then, of course, it's reversed immediately, and Vince McMahon says, ah, nice reversal by Santana. So, you know, <laughs> that was new for me. Uh, yep, and you just chain all the way through it, you know, uh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'm glad they didn't do in this era that spot where, like, the baby face punches the heel and the heel comes back and punches the baby face. The yeah. crowd's supposed to go, like, boo yay, boo yay. Because yeah. they, they would have had to do that in the announce booth, you know? So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, they would have. Or at least Vince would have done it by himself at minimum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I think you mentioned it, man. Probably my enduring visual of this match is uh, Tito goes after Hennig's leg. And uh, they do a really good job with that. I think I could watch that spot all day where Hennig has, like, one arm on the ropes. He's, like, hopping around. And then Tito kicks him in the leg, and he flips just ass over heels. And mm. just, oh, God, I love that spot. He's so good at it. And uh, it just looks so good. I, I could really watch that all day, I think. Absolutely. This is this is beautiful, folks. This is the best of even the new generation. Like, we talk about eras. We're going to be in a new era and the best of that era is birthed out of what's going on in here. So mm -hmm. this is, and you want to talk about Vincent Mann as the babyface commentator. These two are two of the most skilled. This is where Jesse and Jerry destroys him. Uh, <laughs> these are two of the most skilled and talented men in the business. And they both go back and forth and they both get their offenses. But when perfect gets an offense, 
Vince just says, oh, he just got it off of luck. And Jesse Ventura says, just destroys him. Like, everything Mr. Perfect does for a minute or two. Like, oh, Perfect did that, but I guess it's luck. Oh, this happened, but I guess it's luck. And Vince is just like, listen, at one point, and just kind of <laughs> ends the thing. But Jesse destroys him over that comment. Oh, my God. I wonder how Vince felt when Ventura left. Like, I don't know if he... I don't know if he was glad or mad to see him go or like, I, I don't know. I can't imagine this relationship. So yeah, oh, it's crazy. Oh my God. I think by the, because of the reason that he goes, that Vince would have no thoughts because he commits the impartable sin, which is wanting uh, money, I think. And, uh, that he earned outside of WWF to be his money. Oh uh, yeah, that's the number one way. Was it that, or was it the the union thing? Or that oh yeah, no, I'm not sure. Either one is equally. Uh, he'll be, you know. I think if he had left earlier and on better terms, I think Vince would have definitely. I think it would have hurt Vince McMahon, but I think he would have no sold it by the time Jesse actually left, at least for the time being. Yeah, you're probably right about that. So I wonder well, he, about Vince McMahon because I think. Was, it was, like, on an Andre doc or something where he actually got, like, teary-eyed thinking about yeah. how, like, things ended between them. Yeah. I wonder how much he thinks about stuff like that, looking back now. Because I think you're right. I think he probably no-sold it a lot at the time, maybe even in his own mind. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too psychological. But, like, the mind of Vince McMahon is such a strange thing to try to comprehend. Yeah. And there's no way to fully know, but I but felt sense-wise I would think the same thing. Like, life goes on, we got business to run, and you don't feel it in that time because you can't afford to feel it. But, yeah, that's I've also heard that. Like, he he was good friends. Like, he loved Andre. They had a falling out. Andre passes away, and uh, I think that hurt him for a while. So, yeah. And it's all of us are going through it, even as fans, where if you've watched wrestling for a certain amount of time, you don't even know these guys, and you're starting to lose them. Like, yeah. I used to be surprised when someone passed away. Now I will see, oh, like a shoot interview with so-and-so, and I'm like, I can't believe that person's still alive. Like the whole thing's even flipped on me. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a lot of pain in this. Any community that goes on this long, there's good and bad and ugly, and there's hurt. And I have to think there's somewhere. And we see Vince McMahon and Jesse and Tara beautifully uh, on that Raw in 2000-something, you know, yeah, go back to the booth together. Yeah, I think. So... I, I have to think there's something real. And Jesse's the same way. Like, Jesse's very stubborn, but I know at the end of the day, like, and he might have to be dead and looking back from, from another world, but, you know, these, there has to be care somewhere in these guys for something that they did together. I would hope so, yeah. Ventura will come back more than once, um, you know, at least a few times. So I guess yeah. uh, we'll try to parse it out when we get there. But, um, yeah, no, even... Probably when I first watched that in, like, 2009, I probably didn't even have the full context of it. But just thinking back on it, yeah, there's something special about it. So, uh, all right, I'm going to put that aside because uh, it could create some feelings in me that I can't process right now. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Bobby Heenan does show up at ringside in this match. We don't know exactly what he wants, but it becomes clear all too soon. A Bobby Heenan distraction will allow Kurt Hennig to get that small package and become the Intercontinental Champion. And we enter uh, one of the best eras of the Intercontinental Championship, as you have alluded to. And uh, really, I think, I would say just one of the best Intercontinental Champions ever. And we'll see if that's borne out as we go forward. But uh, Kurt Hennig announces he is the perfect champion, and now he has the perfect manager. And we also have one of my all-time favorite Heenan pairings, 
on deck and Bobby Heenan has a champion in the family again. So you got to love to see that. Yeah. Again, we condemn what's not going well. One thing I want to praise is how well they have pushed Mr. Perfect mm-hmm. and how he has risen to the occasion every time. Like this has been very special to watch this Mr. Perfect rise uh, in uh, the last year or so. I'm going to go a slightly different direction. I was impatient for them to get to this point because perfect with the genius never worked that well. Perfect breaking the title was a cool moment, but they didn't follow up on it. Uh, We saw times where Mr. Perfect barely even seemed like Mr. Perfect early on. Like he didn't really have uh, any of his stuff together. I don't know. It just seems to me. And, you know, sometimes things take time to work themselves out. But man, if they had paired him with Heenan, they could have done a year earlier or more and I think uh, possibly we could have even gotten better things out of that. But uh, either way, we've definitely seen him come along. We have now have Heenan and Perfect together, and it's going to be a great year between them. Yeah. It's not only going to be a great year, but a little over a year from now, they're going to be surrounded by a third man and a big gold belt. So we're just – we are – we're getting closer and closer to coming out and of some things and going into new things. So I think there's there's a lot of good things uh, in front of us still. Yeah, I always think of them till Heenan retires as a manager, but you're right. They're going to be together almost all the way to uh, to 1993, yeah. and then it will finally fall apart just before that year begins. So that's, that's a long partnership. That's going to be some very cool stuff to watch. That is an interesting year, though, for Bobby Heenan, because sure. he's going to bring in Lex Luger, and then either no, shortly before that, I think, Mr. Perfect, who he managed all this time, is going to retire Ric Flair, who he who he managed. Yep. Luger's going to shove him out of the way in the summer and turn babyface, and then Grill Monsoon's going to drag him out of the building. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a hell of a year for sure. Yes. Okay, Mr. Perfect and Hercules. Indeed, May 27. We're in the uh, Maple Leaf Garden in Toronto. Um, another one of these lovely uh, house show taped matches. Uh, this is the one where you got Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes on commentary, which definitely got a pop from me. Uh, and yeah, we got Hercules and Mr. Perfect. So uh, really nice to see Hercules getting a showing here. I think we all know he's not going to win yet. I think he was looking uh, quite good in here. I enjoyed this match quite well. The funny thing to me was the beginning of the match because Alfred Hayes, the man of integrity, Sean Mooney's going to try this thing with like, how in the world did Bobby Heenan get to manage Mr. Perfect? And immediately Lord Alfred Hayes says, by reputation alone, because he's one of the greatest managers of all time type thing. <laughs> Alfred Hayes has this weird, this is going to be a weird comparison, but do you remember when Stevie Ray did commentary in WCW? Yes. And he was just like not having any of the weird narratives and he was just calling things as they actually were. <laughs> Alfred Hayes has the same energy where he's like sort of out of it, but it's like to his benefit because he's not in on these stories which are not always true he is just like telling the unvarnished truth yes. all the time and uh there's just something very charming about it i love it you can't have it all the time because like you're trying to do certain things but both of those guys i enjoyed in those roles i was listening to stevie ray the other day and thinking about that and that's a good it's a good comparison across <laughs> worlds and across years Best thing Stevie Ray did on his own, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, it, it's very unpolished, and yet uh, sometimes I honestly prefer that. So, uh, you know, not always depends on the circumstance, but, yeah, fun commentary here. And fun match, honestly. I love Heenan being paired with Perfect. Um, it, it, there's some, just some great stuff there. Hercules still looking good, still looking jacked. He swings the chain before the match. 
uh, soon, sooner than later, he's going to be with Paul Roma and Power and Glory. So we'll SummerSlam, I think. Yeah, already then. So we're getting real close now. Yeah, I think Perfect kind of dominates this one. I think it's kind of clear, at least to me, that uh, Hercules, as far as a singles wrestler, like his time is come and gone as far as pushes go. Yeah, he's now in that uh, area where which you've talked about, where you kind of see him on the card, and if he's not facing a jobber, you know he's going to lose. Yeah. Um, which is a shame for a guy that we've praised a lot. But uh, he will get a little resurgence with power and glory. He will go a little bit farther, which I think uh, is a very nice thing to know. And, uh, and yeah, he gets a good intercontinental title match here as well, even though uh, I don't think we can say he's a true threat to win no. the match. He's going to get snatched up in the perfect plex, and Mr. Perfect will retain the championship uh, as he begins his his run as Intercontinental Champion. Absolutely so. But if you watch these, I say pay close attention to the interactions between Hercules and Bobby Heenan. Uh, at one point, Hercules will give him quite a chase around the area. And uh, please think back to uh, a certain time yeah. when a certain person tried to sell another person as yeah. a slave. These feuds never really go away in this era, and that is one of the charms of this era of wrestling. Yeah, one does not easily forget, so... Uh, Bobby, 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 it'd be weird if you actually think that this is a, a real world and they all stay in the back. Like I, that used to bog my mind, even thinking like, oh, well, there's one dressing room for one group and one for another. But it's got to be right. Some, yeah, but some of the fuse are so intense that it blew my mind that they could sit like even in the back together till it's time to come out and fight each other. <laughs> I mean, we've seen. Uh... Uh, Abdul the Butcher, right? Try to be in one of those locker rooms, and you yes. know, it didn't actually go so well. So, how I do they keep it in control? Ah, uh, yes, that MVP performance. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, last bonus match here, then a couple of bonus promos, and then we definitely will be talking about Saturday night's main event. But first, we have a rematch from WrestleMania, and I don't know about you, but this I thought was even hotter than the WrestleMania match. It was already one of my favorite WrestleMania matches from this past show. We have Randy Savage and Sensational Sherry taking on Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. Once again, this is on the network. This is on the Coliseum video release, WWF Hottest Matches, complete with Sean Mooney uh, sweating up a storm in uh, some very cute little bumper uh, promos between matches. So I love these Coliseum video releases. They often do these kind of cutesy little things. You get to see matches you wouldn't normally like otherwise. I can only imagine if I was a kid at the time, I'd be knocking down the door to get my hands on some of these. So very good stuff here. Absolutely. My favorite thing might be uh, Bobby Heenan before the match of saying about Savage. When he was WWF champion, I didn't like him. I put my men up against him, but I came to respect him. Yes, very nice moment there. I agree. Ah, you love to see uh, heels kind of like uh, show show respect and love to each other. There, there's something about that. Yeah, it's so awesome. And it's so genuine and legit because yeah. most people just ignore that because I'm not a heel up, so we know what you're doing. But just to layer that layer that path for us, it just goes in, it goes the extra mile and it just credibility 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 mm, yes absolutely uh we also have a man with no credibility brother loves here <laughs> before the match he's going to be in the corner of the macho king this time and uh when i saw that i kind of doubted myself I was like oh this match can't be as good as i remember it being because i've seen this one before um because brother loves involved but actually it kind of came out um still being positive in my mind so that that's a testament to the match i think 
Yeah, I think this one is made to pop the live crowd. Like everything is kind of a a moment, and I do wonder where this is in the because this is all this is the grouping. I think that at the beginning, Dusty, at least according to Richard, Dusty was calling the matches, and they had to tell him that you know it wasn't working. It was all elbows, and then they had to let let Larry it out. So I feel like this might be on this on the second half of that run. Yeah, yeah, could easily be, but uh, I like what you said is that just everything's designed to pop the crowd and man, like in a match like this, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. You know, that that's the smart thing to do and they do it to the maximum here, I think. Yeah, you got you got Liz down there, so that's a thing. You got Brother Love down there. Brother Love trying to get at people and fight them and take Savage and Sherry to hold him back. Um you got Sherry in the dress and heels and then that slowly comes undone. So it's just <laughs> everything like, Everything just seems to be, you know, like like I said, built in to pop the crowd. It feels very like it's called hottest matches. It feels very hot. It feels like yeah, everything um, <clears throat> is kind of chaotic because yeah, yeah, Sherry does not come dressed to wrestle for some reason, and yet that kind of just makes her more wild in the ring. Um, I love at the start of the match. I don't even know why I love this so much, but it popped me a lot. It popped the crowd a lot. Savage goes over to the mic. Uh, after the match has started already, he just goes over to the mic and says, oh, yeah, into the microphone. And that's it. That's all he says. And then uh, Dusty gets a mic of his own and he's like, oh, yeah, baby. And he's got like his own thing to say. And the crowd is loving it. I'm loving it. And it's just like the charisma is overpouring in this match. And I think another reason I like this so much, based on what you just said, hearing uh, Pritchard talk about how he and Randy Savage were just massive Dusty Rhodes fans, and you can kind of get the sense of that when you watch this. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, you hear that a lot. Dusty Rhodes, I think, inspired a lot of people and uh, was revered by a lot of people, and rightfully so. I mean, we've talked so much positively about him on this show. We're even going to do a Dusty tribute, I think, yes. uh, a little bit down the line here. Um, so, yeah, no, it's great stuff. Um Savage uh, has his top piece on in this match, which scared me a little when I saw it. But, hey, he still did a great job. Um, I'm wary of that uh, that top piece on his costume staying on during wrestling, though, because I know eventually we're going to get kind of a dampened Randy Savage. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm keeping it uh, on the back burner for now. Yeah, like Savage is still so capable. And I think he's still going to do some great things. Well, he obviously is going to do some great things. But there are moments where I see him where it feels like, He's slipping and sliding, you know, yeah. so I, I don't, and it's not, I don't even know how to say it because I, I enjoy everything that he's doing, but, and maybe it's because Sherry's done so well and Dusty's also great and Savage is kind of in a, you're not in the WrestleMania 4 anymore, but it just seems like sometimes Savage is there. I've said from the start that as good as Savage will be at times, he will never, that 86, 87 yeah. exploding in multiple places at once. It's just never quite that again. And it's funny because I think he did some of his best work outside of that period, but like the quintessential core of the yeah. best of Randy Savage, like the spirit of it, I think is really uh, embodied in that era and it never maybe fully returns. And I don't know what that is exactly, but uh, it's interesting to think about. It is. I think a lot of it comes down to, like you said, someone on the rise is often the best they're ever going to be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, very true. I don't know how Michaels and Jarrett will hold up, but when I watched that in real time, that was one of my biggest mark out moments of my life. I thought it was a fantastic match, and I was so with Michaels when he won. And then a few months later, when he's wrestling for the world title, I'm cheering for Brett. <laughs> wow, so. wow. All right, OK. 
okay, that's very interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to that now. All right. Yeah. So uh, Sherry gets her dress pulled up to her head, and Gorilla Monsoon says, "Did you see the straps? The leather? She's into some heavy stuff." And Bobby Hans says, "It looked like a parachute." <laughs> I feel like that was another moment where like the errors like bumped into each other, and the announce team was just like, "We don't know what. You know, this is not part of our." <laughs> Oh, that's a great moment. Um, yeah, definitely not something they would show on TV anywhere, but uh, here we get it. And um, we got Hina and Monsoon, yeah, calling this whole match. I was just thinking, it's amazing how little we've heard of them together in this series yeah. so far. Like, very little, to be honest. And uh, they will become the main team when Ventura leaves, and we'll hear a lot more of them. But still, like, they've been doing great work since 86. We've hardly heard any of it, so I hope we continue to get them together as much as possible. Yeah, it reminded me that the answer to who is better in the booth between Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan, the answer is whichever one you've been watching lately. (laughs) Yes, so good and in different ways, too. So there's some great stuff going on there. Oh, man. Uh, They're a little out of pocket um, a, a few times here because um, they're talking about the, the, the women in the match and Monsoon rates uh, Miss Elizabeth as a 10 and Heenan tells him, well, the only 10 is Mr. Perfect. So that should <laughs> tell you one thing right there. But then they're talking about Sapphire yeah. and Monsoon rates her a negative 3. I did not like that. And I think Monsoon should look in the mirror at his yeah. uh, weird weird body and head and maybe not judge other people so harshly. So calm down there, Gorilla Monsoon. That was sad. It's been like that. Nobody supports Sapphire much, and I, I. Yeah, right. It's not. It's it's a shame. She's fun. I don't get it. It is. I, I've I've been Team Sapphire from the beginning, and and this is the kind of gimmick that a lot of times would would irritate me. So I'm surprised that it's been this way. But um, I have respected her kind of grind and hustle and try. It's yeah. also a compliment to Sherry. She's put in there with one of the greatest of all time. Um, but, like, I have been shocked at how the baby faces have not come to her side, and I really find that disappointing. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Nobody really sticking up for Sapphire. Well, we'll do it many years on. So, uh, yeah, Sapphire has been very fun. You said from the start that she seemed good, and uh, your faith has really been rewarded, I think. Uh, I haven't yeah. seen a single thing that I didn't enjoy with Sapphire in it, to be honest, except maybe some goddamn brother love show. And that's not Sapphire's fault, so let's not yeah. get it twisted. <laughs> A lot of what I like is based in energy, and she brings good energy yeah. all the time. Dusty Rose brings good energy. Sherry brings very bad good energy, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, so the energy uh, is is extreme uh, when the, you got all these personalities out there. <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah, energy is like the energy of this match. Yeah, it, it, it's huge. It's way up there. Um, Brother Love tries to get involved. He tries to hit Dusty. He hits Sherry instead. She goes down, which proves that wrestling is fake. I don't believe that he could do anything <laughs> to Sister Sherry, but uh, it is what it is. Um, match continues. Dusty puts Savage in a sleeper. Sherry goes in the ring and just runs right past Dusty to maul Sapphire instead, mm-hmm. uh, which is great stuff. That does allow Brother Love to hit Dusty in the head with that weighted purse. Everybody goes down. Crowd's going very excited about all of it. Um, yeah, this is a fun match. I would say really check this out if you have any interest in these guys. I think you'll find a lot of stuff that you will enjoy. 
Absolutely. Sherry's going to get that purse, but Liz is going to get it from her. Liz is going to use the purse, and Sapphire is going to get the pin. <laughs> I so, so many things in this match were just better executed than they were at WrestleMania, and I like the WrestleMania match, but, like, what what did Liz do in there? She sort of, like, weirdly pushed Sherry, yeah. like, over the ropes, and it looked weird, and the camera didn't catch it very well, and there was the weird thing where, like, she came down unexpectedly to kind of, like mess with them here she just comes out at the start like she's very upfront about it and then she gets one thing to do she does it perfectly and like it's a very satisfying end for the match so yeah this match it surpasses wrestlemania i think it pretty much every way yeah we did get a classic schoolgirl roll-up from sapphire that makes one wonder did bret hart steal his entire wrestling style from sapphire <laughs> it's very likely i think we probably on those house shows she was doing the sharpshooters. So, you know. <laughs> she should, I would, I would, I think she, she, mm, she's got such a low base. I think this, the sharpshooter, she would do a better sharpshooter. I think. I, she'd have a great sharpshooter. I agree yeah. completely. <laughs> Man, so we more more conspiracy theories out there. I apologize for that, but if Bret Hart, and he's a student of the game, he was in the business. He saw they didn't end that WrestleMania matchup with a finisher. That that was unique. Yeah. So, one, one wonders is all. Indeed, indeed, one has to think about such things. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really don't, but you know. They don't at all. Oh my! All right, so that's all our bonus matches. We're going to talk about a few promos and vignettes, and then we are going to get to Saturday Night's main event. Uh, essentially, the main event of the show. Once again, I think maybe the bonus content overshadows it, but um, <laughs> it's fine. Like this bonus content plus the Saturday Night's main event. Is so much better than WrestleMania was. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, clearly they have the ability. I don't know. WrestleMania 6 just just was weird. So I'm going to leave that to one side. This um, is an odd. This rude Heenan. This feels a lot like a babyface uh, challenger in a way. <laughs> it does, yeah. Rick Rude kind of doing a, a Rocky Balboa thing yeah. almost here. Uh, we get a number of vignettes which show how uh, Rick Rude has been training for the Ultimate Warrior. And I really enjoy these because they're really different than what you'd see from Heenan and from his clients and from Rude at this time. A lot of it is just like very um, reality-based training stuff. Like Rude will be working out, like he's climbing ropes, he's punching like the, the little punchy bag, um, you know. And they, they do like, like they put Warrior's face on, on stuff. And there's one where Heenan has like kind of the pads on his hands and they have Warrior's face on him. And Root is punching at those. But, man, it's just very different. Like, in one of these, Bobby Heenan is, like, so sweaty. And, like, you would never mm -hmm. see that in a normal Bobby Heenan vignette. And yet they're just taking it in a different direction. And it's weird that they picked this time to do it because they're up against the most cartoonish opponent they could have been up against. So I, I don't know exactly what went into it, but I do enjoy these vignettes. It's, it's, it's hard for me to talk about because isolated, I love it. Root Re talks about I'm the one and only man who's beating you for a title, you hear the footsteps and you know who they belong to. Mm, yeah. uh, it's great stuff in that regard, but like you said, it makes a little sense as far as with a cartoon character and where is Warrior? Is this an admission that Warrior just can't help sell the <laughs> sell the match? You know, I don't know. Uh, is it the best feud for Rude or for Warrior for SummerSlam? Again, I don't know. You could do the Earthquake thing that they did with Hogan, but like I said, then you got Earthquake versus Warrior in the main event of SummerSlam. Gross. So. I don't know. <laughs> it's bad stuff. You, you have to wonder how long they were planning to save Savage for this, but still, like, they run Warrior versus DiBiase in some of these shows. They could have done that. And 
you, you can't tell me DBS is not on the level of Rick Rude in terms yeah. of like main eventing a pay-per-view. So I, I don't really get that. Could have done that. I don't know. Like, like you, it's hard to talk about because I think in some ways this is some of the best stuff Rick Rude did in the WWF. But when you see what it's in service of, it's like, why? You know, it's very strange. This is U.S. champion Dangerous Alliance Rick Rude, and sure. that to me is this peak Rick Rude for me. He should have come out and talked about Ultimate Warrior's uh, affairs with, um, yeah. you know, women. He should have revealed that, and that would have been a different side of it. So <laughs> It's, again, the what can you talk about? Because if, if the Warrior is never going to establish himself as anything, and I think he still hasn't done it, like, I don't know how you go against him, because there's something about darkness and not being normal. But... Like you can't really hit him on anything because he's not st- he doesn't stand still as a character long enough for you to be able to attach something to him. Like it was clear when Rude does that to Ricky Steamboat, everybody knows why that matters because not only is Ricky Steamboat, I guess, supposed to be kind of a pure family man, but he's also he takes himself very very seriously. So it works in several ways. I don't know what you do, and I think they don't know what you do <laughs> with the Ultimate Warrior. Thinking about it now, I'm really amazed nobody ever, like, got the Warriors birth certificate or something and was like, you were born on Earth. This is your blood type. You're a normal person. Like, I don't think anything would have insulted Warrior more than that, but uh, nobody will go that route. It seems obvious now that I think of it, though. Yeah, it does, but it also just shows how idiotic the thing is, though, because (laughs) then we're supposed to, as, as normals, we're supposed to get super excited as he gets offended because he might be considered like us. Yeah, it never really worked very well. And I will say, like, I watched a lot of the TV in this era. I could have missed something. I could be forgetting something. But I don't remember Warrior really responding to this stuff at all. Um, and I don't know I don't know which direction that throws blame in because it was Warrior just, like, they didn't think he was up to responding to it. Or is it the booking letting him down? Like, this is a weird feud. This is a feud that Warrior has already won. You know, he yeah. lost once, but then he won the feud. He got his title back. And that was last year, so that already happened. Rick Rude is not really like a main event guy. Like some people really like Rick Rude, but he has no real history of yeah. being in the main event. This is the feud you're gonna devote like like most of the Warriors reign to. I don't really get it, you know, I don't really understand that. So uh the booking is strange, the execution is strange. I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah, I think I would, now that you say I would go DiBiase over Rude, because, sure. the, you know, DiBiase also, I think, could find a way to get more heat on Warrior, you know, and as Rude, it's basically I beat you for a championship before. Right, and it's, then you lost, and we all saw it, so it's not yeah. like a mystery. <laughs> and then I guess they're trying to get a rating for Saturday Night's main event and build the steel cage, but when you're taking a guy who is already clearly not good enough to beat the Warrior in the world that we're living in, and you're going to go ahead and kind of show that a little bit, you know, before SummerSlam itself. It is baffling to me that just really weeks before SummerSlam, they're going to give away the main event on free TV. Uh, I guess, like you said, they're trying to pop that rating. But, man, it's just very confusing. And, again, we've talked about this before. There's no inciting incident for this feud. There's nothing, like, behind it besides, yeah, they just, Rick Rude kind of pulls out of air. Well, I beat you one time. And that was, like... That was more than a year ago, and yeah. you've lost to him since, and, like, there's no story, really. I don't know. Yeah, it's just very strange. So I don't know if that's Warrior laying down WWF or vice versa or both, but it's very strange. It's mind-blowing because, again, they risked Babyface versus Babyface, which Vince doesn't even like. They had Hulk Hogan go down to Warrior. Like, 
you would think they would have the entire year lined up mm. meticulously of what they're going to do with Warrior after that. Yeah, I think you said in the forums they put him over Hogan with seemingly not one single real plan about what to yeah. do afterwards, and that that's really showing here. The next thing that he's going to do that actually matters is with Randy Savage, and he's not going to be world champion. Yeah, sure. Like he's going to be a placeholder on the way to slaughter Hogan, and I don't even remember what he does at Survivor Series. Like some team match, I'm sure, but like, what is it? Does anyone care? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no memory of what he does at Survivor Series. That's that's not good. That's not good. Yeah, I'm already guessing Hogan's going to be on a team with Tugboat. You know, <laughs> I think we can definitely assume that based on what we're going to see next. But, you know, like I I can't even say what Warrior because the Warrior's not existing in any world populated with these characters. He's just and I think you've got to blame creative, but you got to equally blame Warrior because Warrior's going to speak on Rude on Saturday night's main event. And I still don't think they spoke on Rude because I don't remember anything he said. I couldn't understand it. And it did nothing like to further the cause of the story. Uh, it's um. They're all meeting at, like, the worst possible time here. Like, Ultimate Warrior's failings are meeting the WWF's newfound failings at just just a terrible time. And I think it's impossible to say which was the cause and which was the outcome, because they're both the cause and they're both the outcome. Yeah, and you can see, whether whether you're a gigantic fan of Hogan Earthquake or whether you're not a fan of it, you can watch... Hulk Hogan knows how to behave in that. He knows what to say. He knows how to say it. Jimmy Hart even knows what to say, how to say it. Mm. You know, Warrior's just there. And the people around him can make him better. Like, I think we're going to have, like, I think Warrior match is going to be better than a lot of the stuff that we have deeply, deeply condemned. But, you know, I think the thing that works with Warrior and Rude to me is that I think Rick Rude slows Warrior down and Warrior speeds Rick Rude up. <laughs> but like yeah. the new compliment is like the match was decent. There's still no <laughs> or story. The match was not terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was not whatever we saw. I can't even remember who he wrestled last time. Oh, Haku. You know, it was not a jobber match right. where he just runs through the guy. He actually you know, like Warrior's impressing me when he goes five or ten minutes and there's, like, balance in the match. Like, it's not just one-sided. Right. Like, that's a win. And it it shows up when you get Hulk Hogan out of the way at the beginning of Saturday Night's main event, you know, and you're building to Ultimate Warrior, you start to see kind of how hollow Ultimate Warrior is. I think so, for sure. So. Anyway, we got Brother Love and Hulk Hogan. And this <laughs> is... Here's the thing I really want to say. This segment, I don't think it's that great. I don't think it really convinced me on this Hogan Earthquake feud. I'll just say that up front. But at least they're trying. Like, they're doing a feud here. So you can't say WWF forgot how to do feuds. Because, like, we saw the DiBiase boss man stuff. We're seeing this. This is a great inciting incident. And they're just, it's like they're not even trying with Ultimate Warrior. So, I don't know. Maybe I do need to throw a little more blame towards the company. Because you can't tell me, like... Oh well, it was uh, a nothing feud with Rude, or or a bad feud with Earthquake, because there are other options and they exist out there. So I don't know. It's just it's very strange. My mind will explode if we ask this question uh, any more times because like I could say it's creative and I can give you a great case for it, but you know, book me the thing. Like, what is DiBiase gonna say? Ultimate Warrior sold out. He's you know, like what are you? Like, what is what 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 is the thing? That either upsets Warrior or hurts Warrior. Oh, my God. We're very good 
I, I think we're very good on this show at unearthing things, but I think we have hit a patch which does not end. Like, if we keep digging in this, we will never stop digging because there's no bottom. Like, it just keeps yeah. going down. So so let's put that aside. Let's talk about Hogan and Earthquake. Um, Hogan is on the Brother Love show. And I'm going to speed through this because I didn't – like, Hogan, Hogan demands Earthquake come out, and he talks about the Earth opening up and swallowing Hulkamaniacs. Jimmy Hart comes out. Hulk Hogan's dumb, and he holds his back to the entrance until Earthquake comes out and hits him with a chair. Then Earthquake sits on him a few times, and it's not that compelling. At least they're trying. I give them credit for that. Like, people will pop for Hogan returning on Saturday night's main event. But I think it's because he's Hogan. Like, I don't know. Some people have talked positively about this angle. I'm not sold. Like, this didn't impress me that much. Hogan gets a massive ovation on Saturday night's main event. He does. He does. He's Hulk Hogan. You know, I think uh, even if he had not been taken out by injury, you'd probably still get the same ovation. Maybe not, but uh, that's kind of my feeling. So Jimmy Hart comes out, no earthquake, and Hogan says, I don't feel the tremors. I don't feel the earth opening up and swallowing all my Hulkamaniacs. Like, good, but like I don't understand why they've always got to be, you know, like, is that what you want it to feel? Because he wants earthquake to come out. Does that also mean he, he wants the earth to open up and swallow the Hulkamaniacs, that's another great mystery. Um, I love Jimmy Hart saying that he says Earthquake had a 105 temperature and a severe case of the sore throat. <laughs> a severe case of the sore throat is a great uh, turn of phrase. It is. It is. Um, the charm yeah. of Jimmy Hart, we've not always loved. He does have uh, some interesting phrases that he uses. <laughs> yeah, and I think he'll have something I liked on Saturday Night's Maybe like, He's going to get super... He's not playing around with Hulk Hogan. Like we're not getting like kind of mousy Jimmy Hart. Like he's gonna make some accusations at some point. Oh, here he says it too. He's like, "Keep your hands off me. You're not the world champion anymore." So like, <laughs> that's a weird statement. Like you know, we we put up with some things when you were on top, but you don't get to do that anymore. <laughs> if it were someone other than Jimmy Hart saying it, I'd take it more seriously. But it is a nice uh, a nice moment. So I'll give you that. It also dawned on me that this is the place where Hogan got handcuffed and beat by the big boss man. So, you know, he, I think he needs to learn a lesson about the Brother Love show over on the set. Uh, but like you, I, like, he so I enjoyed so some dumb. of the I, I was thinking about that, too. He looked so dumb because he's been attacked on this exact set in almost this exact circumstance before. And he's just sitting there sticking his ass out towards the entrance, just waiting to be attacked. There's almost some sting level stuff here of just wanting to get attacked. So what will that tell you? I would say he wants to go away to make a movie. He wants, <laughs> he wants the fans to be endeared to him and not the ultimate warrior. So I think there are a lot of reasons why he actually does want to be attacked. And I think he's begging Earthquake to come out and do it. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. We get to the big problem for me, and I'm sorry. I, I am, I am deeply sorry, but I'm still at the same problem. I don't believe that that finisher is going to hurt anybody. Yeah, quick sitting down on people. Um, we talked about last week. It's got to come crashing down, so it hurts inside, and I, I just didn't see it crashing down at all here. Um, I couldn't I buy like into the, it. Yeah. I like the back and forth between Hogan and Jimmy Hart better than the Earthquake Hogan stuff. So, <laughs> if that says anything. Well, you're in luck because you'll see a lot more of Hogan and Jimmy Hart before we're done here. So, I think we got a Hogan and Tugboat. And Hogan also rips the chain off. So that's, if you want a little bit of symbol of why this might be a great feud. It's not a great feud. It might be a good feud or it might be a bad feud depending on your opinion. But 
when it was authentic and it came from heaven and nothing could block it. Andre ripped the shirt and the cross came off here. If you watch Hogan laying there, he rips his cross off at one point and then lays it kind of like, you know, so you kind of see the the hand of man in this feud in a way you don't see in like the 87 feud. Uh, the difference in effort from Hogan is very noticeable as well. I think, um, I think you even said Hogan has said he's, his mind was not in wrestling in the yeah. same way at this time. I think you can really see it. I think he phones in a lot of his promos. We've talked about his go-to is just to imagine his Hulkamaniacs dying for some reason. And then, yeah, like he just kind of gets sat on a bit and it's a great point. Like what a visual, he just rips his own chain off and sort of just like lays it down. It's just lazy. You know, it's, it's not the Hogan of a few years ago who was fighting tooth and claw to make a legacy. It's Hogan who already has his legacy and he's already thinking about his next movie. And, you know, he's just lying on the floor getting sat on and thinking about something else. Yeah, you, you have to believe a pro, any pro wrestler and what they go through who thinks that they're about to go to Hollywood and make it. There's no way that their heart can be in it. And I don't think well, Hogan has said that his heart during some of this stuff is not there. <laughs> I can't even really blame wrestlers because I think you have to be insane to be a wrestler. Yes. Surely you would rather go and make a movie than do the insane things you have to do as a wrestler, the schedule and the, the physical hardship and all that stuff. So I don't blame them, but man, then just go do it. Like stop being in wrestling. Then if you think your Hollywood career is going to be so good. So I don't know. It's not going to be good, Hogan, by the way. So here we are. Uh, we're going to get Hogan and the Tugster next. <laughs> yes, Hogan will come back. I think I, I don't remember the exact timeline with all this tugboat stuff. I don't know if we will find kind of the most ridiculous offenders, but here we get a little a little bit of it because Hogan is with Tugboat. He talks about <laughs> Am I wrong? Did he talk about like riding a, a motorcycle with Tugboat like sitting on the back? Yeah, they I'm just the, thinking the of tire, that. The tire was losing air, so they had to go get, I think, a different vehicle. <laughs> just imagine Hogan on his motorcycle and Tugboat, like, sitting on the back with him. I can like, see Like it. Elizabeth Wood or something, and that yes. just, you know, that is what it is. So I think he's trying to put Tugboat over, but it's just not going to. In a weird yeah. way, like, a, I don't know, Tugboat is his new, like, minion, I guess, and it's... I'll say this, I'd rather see Tugboat than Brutus Beefcake, but the yes. the line is not that far apart. Um, I don't know, he says he and Tugboat are not a flash in a pan, they will live forever, so that'll tell you something. <laughs> like I've said, this, is, this, this partnership will be ridiculous in different promos. Hogan will say he and Tugboat are married for the 90s, and he will poke his head out of the curtain to check on Tugboat's matches on TV, so... I don't know. This is a very weird relationship that most people don't remember happening, but Hogan talked about it like it was going to be like a lifelong partnership. So, Well, they, they, are, they are working under the impression that this is the WrestleMania main event coming up. Oh, that's right. How stupid. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know who made that, but that's why, that's why I'm saying something like this is going to be the partnership for the 90s. Oh, that is a perfect he is going to betray me and the country, you know, and wrestle me at WrestleMania statement from Hogan. That's so stupid. That's so I, stupid. Because Tugboat, he's not even that good, like, as big men go. But how can you do this Hogan earthquake feud, and then right after it, you do Hogan feuding with, like, the same guy, basically? <laughs> like, Tugboat and Earthquake are basically the same guy, except Tugboat's probably a little worse. And this is going to be... Oh, that's so stupid! Okay. But this, you want to talk about the laziness and creative... 
what they saw is like Hulk Hogan made money with big men. We got two big men, so that's what's going to happen at SummerSlam and WrestleMania. I almost want to give credit because, like, they're trying to go back to, like, oh, someone will betray Hulk Hogan, but they're doing none of the legwork, so it doesn't matter. I don't know. They're trying to do legwork right now, but I feel like it's very transparent. Uh, you also can't Knox put a man so badly. I almost didn't get it. So all right, cool. You cannot put a man in those pants, that shirt, and that hat, and call him the tugboat, and he'd be the heel at WrestleMania. Many it's events. unbelievable to me that Hogan calls him a battleship in this promo. Yes. And I'm sitting here. Why didn't you call him battleship? Yeah. It <laughs> would have been so much better. But that's oh, props to Hulk Hogan though, because he says like he's not a tugboat. He's a full blown battleship because. <laughs> A tug, like, it is like something that a child, you know, would, like a toy that a child would play with or like an old cartoon. It is not, it's not a main event face, but it certainly is not a main event heel. I'm going to stick up for children. I think anyone who played with toys as a kid came up with better names than Tugboat for their yeah. characters. <laughs> so. so it, it would be a little boat that gets blown up at the beginning of something in order to start, like, the story that's about to happen. Absolutely. Baffling. Just some baffling choices being made here. This is the man. I think this is. I think he's going to have the Sergeant Slaughter role, too. Like, he's going to betray his country and be managed by the same crew. Tugboat? I think so. No, he goes with Earthquake and Jimmy Hart, I think. No, I think, but the, the WrestleMania plan. Oh... Well, that's dumb. Although, I can so easily see them slapping, like, one of those, uh, it's not a turban, but, you know, kind of the headgear yeah. that they wear. Like, I can see them doing that so lazily. So, good good point. I'm sure that would have happened. Jesus, oh, he would surrender that tiny little hat that he has on his head. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That Maybe that was what was going to make it work. <laughs> oh, God. This is, oh, my God. This is wild. Like, this is a wild moment in history. Like, what is going on in the company at this time? I, I don't know. Man, Hogan and Slaughter is not going to be good. I'm not going to have many good things to say about it. But, man, like clearly it was better than the alternative. Yes. What is going on with these people? Holy crap. How did the same people who booked Hogan and Andre, how are they still booking this stuff? What happened in that time? Oh, my God. It tells you how bad it is. Like everything we said about the warrior, this entire series, and my thought is, you're gonna have tugboat pin the ultimate warrior. <laughs> I mean, not gun to my head, I'd probably take tugboat over warrior, but um, I might what, prefer what a horrible him. He's not, choice. He's not gonna pin it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Ultimate warrior destroyed Andre the Giant. Right. Yeah. What the hell? Oh my god. A tugboat. Um. You're going to have to use more than one scepter, Randy Savage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining for a second, I don't even know if I'm going to go down this road, but we've replaced people before. What if Vader comes in instead of Tugboat, and they don't give him a stupid name, but he could still, like, be buddies with Hogan for a minute, and then he can kill Hogan? I mean, that would probably work, but they they would never do it because they they don't want Vader, so, all right. Yeah, I would want him in the Earthquake feud and not the Sergeant Slaughter feud. (laughs) Vader doesn't need to betray his country and, and join the the crew. <sighs> yeah, it's going to suck. All right, last promo, and then we got to get to Saturday night's main event. Uh, we have Bad News Brown. He's out with Gene Okerlund on the uh, the race platform. Bad News Brown, uh, he doesn't fear anybody. He doesn't need a manager to rob him or a partner to betray him, which was a nice line, I thought. Um, 
Oakland reveals that somehow he found out about Bad News Brown's birthday, which very much disturbs Bad News Brown. He wonders that Oakland was following him or uh, mm. doing some other shady thing, which knowing Oakland is very possible. But um, Oakland gives him a present from someone. Bad News Brown is both very distrustful of it, but also just greedy enough that he wants to know what he is. He opens it up. It's a rubber snake, which freaks Bad News Brown out, because like all heels of this era, he is terrified to the point of phobia of snakes. Gene Okerlund laughs at him, and Brown is so pissed, this is the part I really like, that he knocks Gene Okerlund to the ground as he leaves, which I think is the most physicality I've ever seen from Gene Okerlund. (laughs) This is a man that put hands on Jack Tunney as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is just a little bit silly, but I still liked it a lot in the end. Just because Bad News Brown sells it so well, and you do get that physical bit with uh, Gene Okerlund. So so we are going to have this Bad News Brown, Jake the Snake promo, uh, or program, and uh, I, I hope there will be some interesting stuff in there. It's another one to me that shows Bad News Brown as a trailblazer, because yeah. what heel in this era is talking about not needing a manager? Yes. I love that he's, yeah, like he completely uh, disregards things that other heels take for granted he speaks out against them so he he is very much of his own mind i continue to love bad news brown i believe he will be gone before the year is out but uh, i will miss him definitely because he's very good stuff i will also take the time to say we live in a country that has an extrovert ideal and introverts like if you, if you want to be left alone and you don't want people to know your birthday, you don't want people in your business, you're treated like you must be doing something wrong. And <laughs> what we see here is he is looked at sideways because, like, oh, he gets upset because he doesn't want Gene to know his birthday. And, Gene, you know, they act like it's weird. And yet they're setting him up to trick him to make a fool out of him. And they still take time to be like, you know, you need to open up and be social more. And then here's what we're going to do to you for it. <laughs> That's so. a great point. This is exactly why he didn't want people to know about his birthday, so they wouldn't give him shit like this. So, yeah. Bad News Brown, yeah, his points are once again borne out. He's kind of a, a hero to me a little bit. So Yeah, I'm glad he did what he did. He didn't hurt Gene, but he kind of let him know, like, you can't just come out and do that. It's unprofessional. It's wrong. So, but that's what, you know, once Jake has logged in on you, that's not going to be, that rubber snake's not going to be the end of it. <laughs> uh, the mind games begin. God, I don't think I think I would rather feud with anybody from this era than Jake the Snake because like he doesn't play fair. Like he he's doing some kind of weird sex game with his wife still. I think she's watching <laughs> from home and just getting off on this weird stuff that he does. So I don't want to be involved in that. No, Jeez. no, sir. Uh, so <laughs> we go from weird to um to Saturday night's main event. July 28th, 1990, it is the Wild Kingdom edition. It is. They're heavily into this. I had to look it up to understand what this was about. I guess in Omaha, where they are, uh, a show called Wildlife Kingdom was made, and uh, they're doing kind of a parody of that. So that the, the, the source material was a little lost on me. But we're going to get a lot of uh, very silly, I would say fun segments. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes kicks us off here. And it's like a safari program or something. And he's like a British explorer now. And that's the theme for tonight. So we're going to see a lot more of that as we go forward. Yeah, it will be a different kind of delivery. There will be no rapid fire promos. Uh, Not a lot in the back with an announcer. Later, we'll get Sean Mooney and Jesse. But Gene is gone. So at the beginning, it's more pay-per-view style where the wrestler and manager are just standing with the backdrop. So a whole different delivery. I'm wondering how much is WWF, how much is NBC, hmm. but you know, who knows the answer to that. 
That's a very good question. I'm really not sure. So, uh, I mean, they'll keep doing Saturday Night's main events until um, 92, I think. So clearly, I don't know if this got the rating they were hoping for, but clearly they're going to be okay for the next couple of years doing these shows. Uh, eventually the ratings will slide enough that they don't want to do them anymore. But, um, yeah, uh, we, we do kick off with Heenan and Rude in front of the green screen. Rude's got that new haircut. He's got uh, kind of probably his best look going on. He looks uh, incredibly fit, as you would expect from Rick Rude. Um, Heenan says Warrior will be another link in the food chain. They do Animal Kingdom puns just just forever on this show. They kind of go overboard, even by their standards, with all the puns. Everything is like animal, 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 animal. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I did not like that. It was one of the few Bobby Heenan uh, promos that I didn't very much enjoy because just because you're doing this, you know, like you're, you're challenging for the world title, Rude and Bobby Heenan. Like you got, you should have other things on your mind than hitting the the marks. But that's what we're doing. And later on, we won't be doing that with people. But at the beginning, everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Even um. This was weird to me because Ultimate Warrior cuts a promo after this, and yeah. it's a very different kind of promo, I thought. Like, it's yeah. much more coherent. Yes. It's much more, like, level. He's not screaming and whispering. Uh, it's not a great promo, but, like, I could pretty much understand everything he said, which I think is a first. So I, I was very surprised by this promo. <laughs> I agree. Um, number one, the theme, the theme fits the Ultimate Warrior because, like, the whole evolution, the whole thing – uh, when Warrior came to WWF, they're like Vince is like we're not going to call him the Warrior because you know there's the Road Warriors and there's uh, the Texas Tornado had a Warrior name, and then Vince was trying to brainstorm like, well, he's the ultimate, you know, and then when he realized he could be the ultimate version of that, then he liked it. So that's what we're getting in this promo: the ultimate animal and evolution of the King- Wild Kingdom is the ultimate Warrior, the WWF champion. Oh well, I did not know that story, but that is so Vince for some reason. It I don't is. Know what we know of him. <laughs> It is so, Vince. And the, but the problem is, later on, we're going to get a promo where I still don't know what he said because he started going back to whispering and yelling and whispering and yelling. So he'll only do this once. He will revert quickly. I don't know if it will be signs of things to come or not. Uh, I, I was hopeful for a moment because eventually he's got to get a little better. And I'll say this. I think I thought Warrior in this match was marginally better than he's been before. This is the first time I actually felt like maybe the Warrior had actually improved a little bit. And uh, I don't know if that's true or if that's just something I, I hallucinated or what, but I felt like I saw it at least slightly in this match. I agree. I thought Warrior was better in this. And like I said, I think Rude and Warrior complement each other well. It's interesting that Rude is going to be one of Sting's great opponents, too. So, you know, Warrior, uh, Rude, uh, Rude has a certain way. Like, you plug Rude into the right. This is where I agree and disagree the people that love Rude. Like, I think if you plug him into the right thing, he can do some really cool things. But I also think that he's, if he's plugged into a lot of other things, not so much. But Yeah, I mean, he had a certain way. And I think the appeal of Rick Rude is obvious to anyone. Um, what's less obvious, I think, is when you've watched enough Rude to know um, how lazy he's willing to be. You know, that's pretty much just what it is. Like, if I never see him sit down on his opponent's back and do a chin yeah. lock... Like, that, that moment I saw it so many times and for so long that it's ingrained in my mind. But uh, certainly Rick Rude is capable of doing some very good things. And, uh, yeah, this match, it's not really good. Like, I think they had a better one before. But um, it's not that bad either. 
it's like better than maybe you'd think it would be. So I don't know. There's something going on here. Yeah, I do think it's better. I think Warrior deserves some kind of credit for this. I don't know how much it should be, but it is something where, you know, the match goes reasonably long and, and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't break anything. He doesn't break anyone. <laughs> you know, he doesn't look like he gets lost where he's just like with Hogan, even he like he was just standing around sometimes waiting for Hogan to get up so they could do the yeah. next thing. Maybe that's what it was. Because, yeah, he did seem like he... He often seems lost at times, and he didn't seem that way in this. I also noticed towards the end, he military presses rude, and he actually does a good job for once. And even like when Heenan attacks him, he drops rude in actually a very safe way for once. So uh, there's something in the Warriors making him behave a little bit better tonight. It's also, again, I think they're a great combination. Number one, I've already said the pace thing, but number two, Rude's kind of cut and big, but like he's also like really light. So yeah. Warrior can Warrior can maneuver him. Like he'll he'll put his arms under uh, Rude's armpits in the middle of the ring and just throw him into the corner. So that both looks impressive because it lets the Warrior be strong, but he's being strong with someone else who's strong. So it looks like he's doing something more impressive than he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he's also going to get beat up a lot, so he's going to be vulnerable, which is a change, and I think it's a nice change. It is, yeah. It's a good point that Root is extremely fit, but not bulky. I think he yeah. has a lot of body control that you see sometimes in his selling, and I think it also helps him to kind of navigate around Warrior in the way that uh, bulkier guys couldn't do very well, and Warrior certainly couldn't help them very much with it. So uh, it's a good point. Uh, neither of these guys, obviously, is a guy that I would really seek out, so it's always strange to me they have like this kind of bit of chemistry that makes their matches sort of over deliver. So I'll recognize that it's probably the main reason they put Rick Rude in this title feud. Now that I think of it, um, because they actually had a good match at least once before. Uh, but still, it's not really a great reason to do it. And again, I'm just astounded that they gave away their pay-per-view main event here. So it's just bizarre. It's also how much of it is warriors hurting people that don't want to wrestle him. Yeah. And like and Rude, like Rude is a guy you can trust in the ring with the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, yeah, I, there may be something to that. But if you've got a champion that you have to treat so carefully yeah. and people don't want to work with him and your ratings are kind of sliding down anyway, like, I mean, it's no surprise that they're going to change course before WrestleMania. I feel like they kind of had to. So I don't know. This is what we got, though. Yeah, until Yoke goes, well, Flair and then Yoke goes. So we're going to start getting some heel champions. But Vince at the time really – doesn't want those sustained title reigns, but you almost wonder too, as with the WrestleMania seven match, if you took somebody and built them out longer, instead of just between Royal rumble and WrestleMania, would that have made it better? I, you know, I can see it going either way. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I, I think the effort could have been made at least. The only other thing I will say is how strange is it that Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig both went to Robbinsdale high school together <laughs> and they're they almost become like the winners of all the singles belts in WWF at the same time. Yeah, yeah, very true. I was th- they'll they'll get paired together quite a lot in WCW later. Rick Rude will manage Kurt Hennig, but man, I think they could have easily been in the family together. This is another yeah. point in my uh, idea that Hennig should have joined the family a lot earlier than he did. He could have just thrown out the genius entirely. Sorry, Lanny Poffo, but uh, you know it is what it is. <laughs> So this match is going to be, I think, a double count out. That's a DQ somehow. It, it, it ends very confusingly. Like, Warrior just ends up fighting Bobby Heenan in the ring, and Rick Rude is, like, not even around. And then the bell rings, and I thought it was a count out, but I guess it's just a DQ. Um, 
So, yeah, they didn't do much of a finish here, so I don't know what that was all about. Yes, and it ends with Heenan. Heenan I love Heenan rolls in the ring running from Warrior and trips. And it's so intentional, <laughs> but, you know, he knows who he is and why fans pay to see him. Yeah, no, Bobby Heenan, once again, the best. And I'll just say again, so much credit to Bobby Heenan working so hard to put Warrior over after Warrior really messed him up uh, yeah. at a past WrestleMania. So, seriously a professional. And uh, Warrior will not return the compliment, as we know, with some very disgusting comments about Bobby Heenan later on when he gets cancer. So, bears mentioning always um, that Warrior was a horrible person. So. Yeah, and that Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan did not like the Warrior at all. Well, who did? But you know, yeah. you have no idea of it when you watch this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just, just, just a million percent professional at all times. So, huh. We go to Lord Alfred Hayes and Gene Okerlund uh, back in the wild again. <laughs> yep, they they are gonna go on a safari together. And Lord Alfred Hayes, he's like he's possessed in like another mind here. Like he he is not Lord Alfred Hayes in this moment. <laughs> um, he, he's possessed by the spirit of some British explorer. He's calling Gene Okerlund Jim, and uh, they're they're gonna have some adventures together. So <laughs> yeah. These these segments are very endearing to me, so we'll, we'll talk about more of them as they come up. Absolutely. So we get a quick Hogan video that is half uh, Rise of Hulk Hogan, and then Earthquake kind of interrupts it with the splash sit down, and then it's supposed to be sad, and then it's over. Uh, weirdly, I think this is the debut of Vince McMahon standing in the ring interviewing as he's going to bring out Hulk Hogan. So again, this 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 show in no way follows the Saturday Night Main Event. Um, routine that we're used to yeah seeing some change he'll be out there with with bret hart with steve austin you know with with some different people down the line so that's a good point i didn't even think of that um <laughs> that video is so oh, it's so over the top and cheesy um i i appreciate the effort they put into it like they actually show some nice old clips which i liked and uh they do a <laughs> Like a tragic reorchestration of real American to like play over the sad parts. So clearly some effort was put in there, but God, it's so cheesy. It's so over the top. I can't even stomach it at times. Yeah, this is a different era. Like in, in a few years, we're going to have lyrics with all the songs. And I think WWF's going to start kind of getting better at manipulating emotions. But here it's just <laughs> either you're bought in and it means something to you or it doesn't, you know. You'd think he died or something from the way they do it. It's just well, like apparently this was the way they used. Oh gosh! So they used his injury and the letter writing campaign in order to build a mailing list for their catalog, so that they could start selling stuff from the catalog and get a lot more people on the list. So that's what the whole thing was. That's very smart. I can't fault it for yeah. that. So so that means you got to make you know you got to have the fans in a state where they have to write Hogan. And so, yeah, they're, they're trying to treat it like he, he's going to die if you don't write these letters because we need a mailing list. <laughs> Absolutely. And they pushed that hard on primetime and the other shows. So uh, I guess they did a good job. Um, Hogan does come out to a huge uh, pop. Yeah. Got to give credit to that. Uh, Hogan is here for one reason, to thank the fans who prayed for him and sent him mail after he got sat on. He doesn't say it way that, that way, but that is what it is. Vince McMahon says, Earthquake is the only man who ever took Hulk Hogan out of action. So, sorry, King Kong Bundy. I guess I imagined that mm. a few years ago. Um, <laughs> somehow, this turns around to Hogan praising Tugboat. 
And uh, it's really hard for me to tell if people are booing or if they're making a foghorn sound. I'm gonna I, I thought that, too. <laughs> I don't know what it was. There's definitely some cheers, but there was something else going on. And I'm not sure if it was boos or, or something else that you I, said. I think it's supposed to be like a foghorn sound. Okay. But I, I want to believe there's some booze mixed in there. <laughs> yeah, and it, it wasn't the ovation. Because we heard Hogan's ovation when he came out. Yeah. And yeah. then the tugboat one is not the ovation that you want to him to have if you're going the direction that they're going. Yeah, I mean, no one. At least they were smart enough to change course on that one. So, I was, Hogan's face sometimes... I think he might owe Lex Luger an apology. As professional as he is, we know on the first Nitro... He's going to tell Luger, I think rightfully so, in the commercial break, if he, if he doesn't uh, get the smile off his face, he's going to take it off for him because like, he's playing with his money. You don't like break character. But Hulk Hogan says, um, he even if it takes a year, he will take the time to answer every one of those letters. And there's just this smile or smirk on his face after it where it's almost like even he knows like it's such nonsense that he would do that. That like, I Just look at his face right after he says that. I can't tell if he's just supposed to be happy or if he can't control like the lies even for Hulk Hogan that finally reached a line where like, no, brother, I'm not doing that. I mean, I don't really doubt that uh, some poor assistant had to answer all yeah. those letters, but uh, if Hogan touched even one of them, I would be shocked. So. No, there were people definitely in comment section saying what they got in return. Uh, like they still have the thing that they got in the mail back from sending the letter. There you go. Not a catalog, but you know. <laughs> Thank you, uh, intern of Hulk Hogan, for doing that. Whoever you were, you you deserve appreciation. So. He says Hulkamania has had its highs and lows, which is also a rare admission. Oh, yeah. I assume he's just meaning, like, times when he got hurt or beat up or something. But, yeah, he usually doesn't even – that doesn't exist to Hulk Hogan, so. And then usual Hogan rhetoric. Not only did they put him out, but I saw them laughing. I saw the pleasure in their eyes. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we're going to see it again because uh, Earthquake, Jimmy Hart, and Dino Bravo, who still exists, uh, he shows up. Tugboat runs out as well. Uh, the the baby faces kind of stand tall in the ring. And I can't help but notice that Hulk Hogan already has his Hollywood Hogan weight belt, and he's ready to whip some people with it. So yes. I'll tell you what you need to know. I said there was two signs of foreshadowing for things to come. Number one, Hogan takes the weight belt off, signs of Hollywood Hogan. Tugboat runs out, and his leg is stuck under the bottom rope, which is shades of the Shockmaster to come. <laughs> oh, God. The Shockmaster. Jesus. I almost feel bad for uh, Fred Ottman for the gimmicks that they like. Oh, you're going to be a tugboat. You're going to be a Shockmaster. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, he he wasn't great, but, like, he didn't have to be a tugboat or a Shockmaster, for God's sakes. Um, oh, yeah. um, if we can feel sorry for Earthquake being given animal gimmicks and sea gimmicks and all other things, we can definitely feel sorry for the tugboat slash Shockmaster as well. <laughs> Oh, my. Um, we go back to Alfred Hayes and uh, Gene Okerlund. They're actually out in the wild. Um, mean Gene <laughs> is peeing at the start of this. Alfred Hayes said nature was calling. So uh, Alfred Hayes uh, continues to call Gene Okerlund Jim, much to his um, dismay. Coco Beware shows up. He's looking for a mate for Frankie. And then uh, Gene Okerlund basically falls right into a snake and... Uh, <laughs> It's a great touch because Alfred Hayes is narrating and he's like, oh, I closed in to try to kill the snake while he's like clearly running away from it in the mm -hmm. video. So that was a nice touch. I, I really enjoyed these segments. 
I really thought this should be Coliseum home video exclusives. Yes, it has that vibe for sure. But yeah, you're going to see a lot of wrestlers. I think the Bushwhackers are also out there. Oh, so. God. I didn't see them, so I hope not. Yeah, the Bushwhackers um, are walking on the train track at one point. Oh, uh, well, they didn't talk, so that's all we can ask for. <laughs> okay, nice. So we're back to the ring uh, tag title matchup. I do believe it's the Demolition with all three of them, according to Vince McMahon, taking on the Rockers. Yes, absolutely. So uh, before we get to the Hearts, who challenged Demolition at WrestleMania, apparently had to wait a very long time yeah. to get their title shot. But uh, the gimmick here is Demolition. They are now heels, and I think it's just because they recruited a third member to their team and for no other reason. And just for that, they are now bad guys. So take that for what you will. Yes, it's the strangest thing what makes up. Uh, because maybe they're not brave and baby faces are brave, but like – if they just said that one of the three men was a weapon that they're going to use, would they then be baby faces? <laughs> if they just brought an actual axe to the ring, yeah. they would have been heroes. So <laughs> There's some oh, nice gosh. stuff from Marty Jannetty early. I like he hits, he hits something high, and then he runs and clips the guy's leg out from under him. Um, there's, a, there's a double flying head scissors by the Rockers as Demolition's like stepping back into the ring. So as soon as they come through the ropes, they're like up on them with double head, flying head scissors. This is a good match. Um, I would say, uh, in general, I did enjoy this. It's not the greatest match I ever saw, but it's definitely good stuff. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, we've talked a lot about Demolition. I feel like, funny enough, we haven't talked as much about the Rockers, as I've, like, you know, people forgot which one was which sometimes on commentary. But uh, I think maybe not being one of the very, very best teams in this era, but maybe just kind of like in the next tier down, they've been very good. And uh, I do think they deserve a lot of recognition for what they kind of did here. Yeah, I think I part of what I thought about when I was watching this is when someone doesn't have a serious push on them, it's hard to talk about. Like, I'd, I'd like to talk about Coco Beware more. I'd like to talk about Owen Hart more. Right. But, you know, the Rockers will always wrestle a Rocker-style matchup, but they are not taken seriously as, like, they're going to grow, they're going to be champions, they're going to dominate – you know, there's none of that. So yeah. you're watching a similar package every time. It's a good package, but it's, it's similar, and it's not it's not seeing a lot of growth in real life like uh, un, uh, development. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Um, they don't get the same attention that some other tag teams got. I really have to wonder at one point, at what point did they see Shawn Michaels and they were like, well, we really want him to be like singles guy, intercontinental title level. I feel like we may not even be at that point yet because I look at these guys and they're good. Obviously and we know what came, especially of Sean, but I could also see these guys just kind of like fading away yeah. at some point. So they're not really locked in yet to what their future is going to be. And the one question that nobody seems to ask if Marty Jannetty was not a complete train wreck, like with his life, you know, I don't know what he would or would not have accomplished. I think we were still moving to the blow off at the end of uh, 93, but it was going to be a WrestleMania. Like they were going to have a WrestleMania match. And so both men were, were getting a push. I think Janetti's probably still would have faded, but, you know, I think both men were taken seriously for a little while as singles wrestlers. And as you said, I could see them doing something with them and I could see them releasing them at this point. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely not locked in. I'll say I thought Janetti looked very good in this yes. match. Uh, maybe maybe the better of the two. I'm not sure because they both looked very good. But uh, they will try many times to do something with Janetti. Like he will yeah. come and go. He will go from the company and they will bring him back. So clearly 
they recognize his talent. He's very talented, and just as you say, like, he could never hold it together um, for one reason or another. It always fell apart. But, uh, yeah, we will see him many times uh, trying to get something going, so we'll, we'll just have to see what comes of that. And... He's very good. Like, even in this match, he keeps grabbing side headlocks, and it's an, it, you really get the impression it's not to do an offensive move, but it's because they're so powerful that in between moves, he just wants to make sure that, that, that the guy's locked down so that the, the whole thing doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Gennetti spends a lot of time in the ring here. He's the, the kind of the face in peril. He yeah. does a really good job of trying to lock down demolition with kind of like the size advantage. He does some really nice bumping, some really nice selling. Um, it's a very good match for Gennetti. So I got to give him credit. And then we get a hot tag from Sean, which is super good as well. So, you got to show love to both sides of the equation. Yeah, and then there's a nice moment where Sean does the roll-up, and he's sitting on his opponent, and Axe comes in, who's not in the match, and just clotheslines Shawn Michaels into the second row. <laughs> yes, just knocks him out of his boots. It's great yeah. stuff. Uh, Crush coming in means, sadly, we will not see Axe do very much from this point on. I believe he had maybe some kind of health issue that prevented him from really wrestling uh, a lot anymore, which is really... Just a sad way for Demolition to kind of start fading away. And we are going to see him start to fade away very soon here. But uh, they get a nice showing here. Ask us that nice clothesline in. Demolition, still the tag team champions. They're going to go to SummerSlam. And uh, they're going to face the guys who run down right afterwards, which is the Hearts. They yell at the referee because they're tattletales and their faces again after the last show. <laughs> and then the freaking Road Warriors yeah. just show up. And I was not expecting them at all, but suddenly they are here, and I assume they're already here because, like, nobody's surprised to see them, but they run down. I don't even know what they wanted, but the Road Warriors are here, so I, I was excited about that. Yeah, they've got to already be there, but that's a strange way to enter the Legacy Series. <laughs> Just showing up like the fourth team out of four teams who are running down and being part of this segment, so weird, but I'm excited. I love the Road Warriors. Um very legendary team, very powerful team. They will do some fun stuff before they uh, say goodbye because they got stuck with a puppet. So, that yeah, all right. that That's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a gross way to come out, too, because, like, the Heart Foundation doesn't like the Rockers, not, nor does LOD. But they're coming out like they're doing something for the Rockers, but they're just trying to position themselves as who's next in line. Yeah, I hate these tattletale run-ins. Yeah. You know, they, they always rub me the wrong way. Just, like, because you got to do it. You can't just do it once, like when you think it benefits you. You gotta do it all the time or not at all, or else you're yeah. just a hypocrite. So, you know, there's other cheating on this show. Where are you then? You know, if you're gonna appoint yeah. yourself the police, then you gotta be consistent about it. And you can't change the referee. I think there have been times in history where the word of a baby face has made the referee change the decision, but I'd have to look into that. No, it's, it's happened on a rare occasion. Um, they, uh, they, they, they've changed it to a DQ or something. I always hate that because, again, you just you, you have to be consistent about it. It either is or it isn't. I hate, like, very rarely um, a referee will watch a replay and change, like, the thing on that. It's very rare, and it should never happen because if you do it once, you need to do yes. it every time, and it's just a mess. So, yes, decisions just need to stand for what they are and just calm down with the rest of this bullshit. Yeah, and look, like Danny Davis had the decency to become a referee again and, and quit yeah. his wrestling. Like, if you want to run out and, and tell the referee, become a referee. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He overcame a, a ban for life um, to become a referee again somehow. So if he can do it, so can you if you love being a referee so much. <laughs> 
All right, that was good, good and necessary to say. <laughs> oh my, Alfred Hayes and Gene Okerlund are still on their safari. <laughs> this is very strange. Gene Okerlund, uh, he sacrifices a lot of dignity for the sake of this segment because uh, he is stung in the butt by some bugs. He starts to imitate animals because he's hallucinating. Yes. That's how uh, Alfred Hayes saves him. So Gene Okerlund going above and beyond for the silliness of these segments. Yeah, you understand why Bobby Heaton and Gene lasted so long. Not only were they great, which all, sometimes doesn't matter, but they also did whatever was you know they were called upon to do, <laughs> which I think matters more in that company than the, than the first. Absolutely. They were good sports, you know, for better or for worse. And uh, I'll say this too, Gene Okerlund, like Bobby Heenan, um, is very good at, uh, he can do a silly thing, and yet you can also take him seriously in the next segment still. Yes. That, that's a nice thing to be able to have. I agree a million percent. They, you know, you, you can't watch it whether you, that's your cup of tea or not. If you got Gene Okerlund and Lord Alfred Hayes, it's going to have class and quality in it. <laughs> but it might also have... Uh, being stung in the butt so yes yeah. <laughs> and he, well, he can't get his name right like i don't know what's going on i don't know what the story is supposed I to be. Tell, I he's I'm possessed by like a different spirit on this yeah. night because he's like not himself he, he's so in the zone of this that yes he, he has created a, a fictional gym sidekick that gene okerland is standing in for him so absolutely oh my gosh so yeah. dear Sean Mooney is taking over Gene's job, and he is with Perfect and Bobby Heenan as Perfect gets ready to defend the IC title. Yeah, and here's a great point. They don't have to do animal puns so much yes. in this one. Like, they do it a little bit, but not too much, you know. So uh, Heenan predicts that Tito will stay a former champion, and I like how much uh, emphasis is on his uh, Intercontinental former champion status in this because they rarely talk about it. Um, Mr. Perfect speaks with uh, complete confidence, as always, which I appreciate about his promos. Uh, they're definitely feeling good going into this one. That's the best thing about Perfect. In an era where he he just seems so unlikely to me for a WWF push of this magnitude, especially with Hogan earlier, mm-hmm. but he talks like he is six foot eight, and he says, it's Saturday night, and I'm at my best. Like He's a guy, he wants the spotlight, he wants the pressure moment, and he wants to be like at the top of the card. Yeah, not for nothing. You cannot for a moment underestimate the ability of Mr. Perfect because he really was, I think, a cut above just about everyone else in terms of his raw ability. So a lot of praise for that. And, uh, yeah, the way he presents himself is really great. It is. So we got this rematch from what we talked about earlier. It is Mr. Perfect and Tito. And, again, it's going to be another good matchup because it's Mr. Perfect and it's Tito. I, I think it's a great match. I like it even more in some ways than the Superstars match. It gets a little bit more time. It's kind of an extended version of that. Uh, they do some things the same, some things different. They work it off very well. Um, there's a ref bump. It seems like Tito might uh, get the submission with a figure four, but uh, the ref is down, so it doesn't happen. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they just keep going on and on here just doing great stuff together we've kind of covered it already i'll just say watch this match it is another one of my favorites um and not the least of which because bobby heenan is down there the whole time and man we've we've mentioned it before i think but he just lives and dies with his client and uh it's an amazing part of what makes bobby heenan great so all the parts here are making for a wonderful match i think yeah you watch two matches with mr perfect and bobby heenan and you already feel like they've been together forever Yes, I always get that feeling when I go back to this era. It's like, surely they were together, you know, for years 
as wrestler and client, but really it was just about a year. Um, but it, it feels so right. Like the chemistry is huge between them. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Perfect rolls under the bottom rub on his hands and his feet, like laid out running from uh, Santana. And he stays on it and just slides backward all the way across the ring and out the other side. <laughs> and it's great. I love that he does this because it also sets up another one of his spots where he tries to do this again. But he goes out in the corner and he ends up crotching himself yeah. on the ring post. And that that's a very... Uh, Hennig spot that he loved to do, and it always looks good. It always gets a pop, and he always sets it up well. So, yeah, just like the intentionality of Kurt Hennig, the way that uh, he makes every moment count so much right here in his prime. I love it. It's such great stuff. Yeah, it's also another um, foreshadowing of what Bret Hart will be known for because it's, it's so authentic. Like, it looks good, but, you know, he doesn't rise to his feet because – like he's in a real moment where he is being chased and he is doing the best that he can. And then it leads to something else. So it's, it's authentic and smart at the same time. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so yeah, for as much as Mitchell Brooklyn can be over the top and his physicality, I think there is kind of an authentic core to it that really makes it work so well. So uh, again, the difference between realistic and authentic is very palpable. I think in cases like this. Yeah. There's a moment where, uh, Santana does a running cross body that hits so high that you would think he at least came off the second rep, but he did not. Oh, my God. We haven't talked enough, I think, about how great Tito Santana is in these matches. We put a lot of praise on Perfect, on Heenan, very well-deserved. But, God, it's unbelievable to me how much time Tito Santana spends on the back burner when, really, he's still one of the greatest wrestlers in the company, not just in terms of his physical ability, but in terms of being able to fire up the crowd. He's so good at it, and they just don't make good use of it. Like, he dropped yeah. to Barbarian at WrestleMania. I think he's going to job to Warlord at SummerSlam. Like, this guy is, should not just be your pay-per-view jobber. He should be fighting for Intercontinental titles and for other things. Like, he's, he's a major player. Don't make him the matador. I know you're going to, but for God's sakes, just shouldn't happen. I tell you, he should be in WCW where there's a TV title and a U.S. title. So oh, you yes. get rid of uh, Rick Martel's former partner, the Z-Man. You send him packing. <laughs> you replace him with Tito. And you got Tito now in the TV title division with Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and Stunning Steve Austin. Oh, my God. Just amazing stuff with Dustin Rhodes and just yeah. down the line even more guys. And just like, uh, with Regal, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, my God. So much good stuff could have been there. And could, this is like what I was saying with the Rockers, too. Like, you can love Tito, but when you know he's never going to actually win the thing, like, you can't pay as much attention to him because – you know, it's already kind of predetermined. So I would love to see him in a company where, like, Z-Man won the belts. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, okay, where am I? I have lost my history. <laughs> Z-Man, who did Z-Man beat? For huh. what? Did Z-Man beat anybody? Maybe Arn Anderson, and then Arn Anderson maybe beat Z-Man, and Arn Anderson gets beat by Bobby Eaton. I can't remember exactly how it rolls out, but just put Tito where Z-Man was, and you fix everything. <laughs> I think that would always be uh, an acceptable outcome. Yes. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. There's also a moment where uh, Jesse, I think, talks about getting sweat in their eyes, and Vince is like, oh, he got sweat in his eyes, and Jesse said, if you were ever any kind of an athlete, you would know that that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ventura giving him the business, and rightfully so here. Oh, mm. good stuff. Um, 
I'll just say this. Probably my biggest regret about this series, about WWF The Legacy Series, is we did not start the bonus material early enough to cover the Tito Santana-Greg Valentine Intercontinental mm. Champion matches, which are some of the bloodiest, hardest-hitting, crazy good matches that we could have covered. So I regret that we did not get a chance to cover those. But if you have not seen any of them, just go watch one any of them and you will see just like the sheer greatness of Tito Santana intercontinental champion. It's just above and beyond. It's so good. Yeah, I can see it. So, well, it's almost like Tito is too good to be slotted into any role because he can do so many things. So you just kind of make him come off the bench to do whatever is needed when he should not be doing that. I think it's that. And I think uh, it's just this thing we've talked about again, like after a certain amount of time, you just get written off in this company um, and sometimes it reflects your ability and sometimes it really, really doesn't. Uh, so Tito in the mind of Vince or whoever is just like past like his time and he's just kind of a tool to get others over and, uh, it ain't right and it's not good. And the alternative, I got to say this again, should not be making him the matador. So, okay. That's all right. That's yeah. all I got for now. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. I also love Bobby Heenan. At one, at some point, I started to exploit half the ramp way when he gets sick and thinks his the guy's gonna lose, and that's just so beautiful to watch him halfway down the ramp way with a sick face. Yeah, yeah it, it's something. That's 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 when I wrote that comment that he's just living and dying with Perfect, because like yeah. yeah, when Perfect almost gets pinned, he walks about halfway down the aisle and he just yeah, he looks like he might throw up or something because he is so tense, he is so invested in this. I think one of his things was like when you manage, you got to manage like a wrestler. You got to manage like you're being physically impacted by everything that happens mm. to your client. And he really embodied that. He just does a wonderful job with it. That's so beautiful. This is also shout out to Perfect or the agent or whoever, but it ends with an inside cradle by Tito and Perfect just rolls his weight and gets the cradle and gets the victory and gets out of there. Another point in your favor that uh, people were doing these clever finishes before Bret Hart thought of it. So, you know, it, it can happen. Bret, Big Boss Man did one earlier, too, actually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not it's not exactly a Bret Hart exclusive. It's just it's, it's beautiful. Like my goal is not to take anything away from Bret Hart, but it's really to talk about this whole IC uh, run that we're going to have that includes Perfect, uh, Brett, we'll say Piper, but Piper's there more, I think, for the ethos. Like, he's going to put Brett over, which I, I guess I've been watching wrestling for two and a half minutes, and somehow <laughs> I knew that that was supposed to be a big deal that Brett beat Piper, so. Mm. Yeah, they, they they put it over well they they made it matter they made it feel like it mattered so that's great stuff i'll say i feel like you've softened a lot on bret hart since i first knew you i feel like there's a time where you wouldn't have had uh, much good to say about him i think it depends on what we're talking we're talking about bret hart as an observer of the wrestling world and and a commentator on the wrestling world i'm gonna say the same thing if we're talking about bret hart and wcw i'm gonna have some negative stuff wcw a lot but bret hart too uh the era that we're in, like I, I wasn't impressed with the Hart Foundation, but right. if I'm going off memory as a child, and if, if my memory as a child is right, his IC run and his later run, I would say 93, 94, 95. Like I wasn't completely sold on his first world title in 92, but I, we'll see how that goes when it gets here. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm also waiting until he bumps up uh, against Lex Luger, and they kind of bottleneck for the main event, and then then we'll see what the comments are, I think. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it will be tuned in weekly to hear what, what I have to say. Because 
it might not always be the same. I swear there was a time when you hardly had even one good thing to say about Brett, but maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. So. That's probably true, but it was probably based on a lot of character things. Because to me, context is always big with me. And if it's coming off claims that Bret Hart is a 10 out of 10 in every area, and Hogan's <laughs> a 1 out of 10, Flair's a negative 10 out of 10, like then that's going to cause me to say, okay, so we're going to talk about flaws. So, well, Brett, let's do that then. Right, you know? right. Fair enough. And then uh, if we're talking about Owen Hart, I remember some uh, choice comments we had for Bret as well when we talked about that in comparison. So what what was it like? Uh, Bret Hart did a favor to his uh, younger brother by sucking or something. So <laughs> <laughs> I will say if I and and sometimes the mystic is just trying to get a reaction. That's also a thing. But uh, in one way, I, I got more praise for Bret than Owen because I think Bret had to work harder. But I think Owen is is naturally just gifted in ways that not that many people are he could have been the natural for all for all we know so um yeah no more owen hart to come definitely but uh anyway yes perfect picks up the win with that small package he's still intercontinental champion um that run will go on for a while it will be interrupted and yet uh, he will never really leave that picture until SummerSlam 91 when he will leave all pictures for a while and i'm not looking forward to that sad day but for now we're in the height of some great Mr. Perfect stuff, so very good stuff. And again, the Bobby Heenan, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen anything like Bobby Heenan and Perfect as far as, like, they've been together for two seconds, and I thought, man, these guys have been together forever. <laughs> it's great stuff, yeah? No, they're perfect. Their hair matches so well. Yeah. I always think when it's Heenan, Perfect, and Flair, like, it's just like the perfect hair trio or something. Yes. Like, it's just great stuff. So, Even when I watched it as a child, I almost felt like they were related to each other. Right. Yeah, it feels that way. So that's good. And they are. They are in in one sense related because they are a special kind of good. Yeah. And that's a dangerous thing, especially for heels. To let three heels that are that good get together, that's why you end up with the Royal Rumble 92 and a celebration by heels in the back to end it. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we move. Go. We go to the back again. Ventura is here talking to Earthquake. And I wrote this comment, and now I'm thinking, I don't know if it's true, but it feels true. It feels like, even though Ultimate Warrior is champion, there is so much more attention on this feud. And I don't know, maybe they have the same amount of segments, but the Warrior segments leave no impact on me. Maybe it's the fact that this has a story, and Ultimate Warrior's thing does not. Maybe it is really just the fact that already they know they're leaning on Hogan. They know that Hogan's house shows do better. I don't know what it is, but it really feels like... Hogan might as well still be champion and warrior could still be intercontinental champion based on the way these feuds are going. I get what you're saying. It's either the fact that this has a story or the warrior sucks. And it could be either one or both <laughs> because like, I feel the same way. It's like they gave so much more to Hogan, but we're about to end the show in a little bit with like promos from rude and the warrior. So warriors going to get another turn at it. So it's not like they're not giving him time. Right. So I think it's partly that they're giving it such a story but it's also the part that, you know, Warrior will get the Warriors promo and we'll see, like, how he builds his matchup as world champion. Absolutely, yeah. Because this um, one sucked, too. It's like, oh, we're, the only way out is going to be the structure. The structure, okay, cool. You know, but, yeah, <laughs> it's still, it feels, even when it doesn't go well, it feels like it's better. Absolutely. It feels more, um, it feels like a WWF feud, you know, and even if it's not one of the best ones, it's got kind of that flavor of years past it's not the best execution, but it really feels like, um, you know, it's just in that vein. It's kind of in like the right, the right, it's following the right lines for that kind of feud. 
This is one way where I, I think I have to blame creative and warrior because in a way that's what was supposed to happen. Hulk Hogan becomes the immortal, so he's almost he could be part time or he could be half dead. Like his feuds are kind of like, hey, here's some nostalgia for people who like that stuff. But Warrior was supposed to be taking us into a place we've never been. That was the whole point of it. Like the nineties and beating Hogan. Warrior was taking us to somewhere that we've never been. So the question for Warrior and or Creative is where are you taking us? Because there is a distinction. Hogan still feels like a lighter version of that 80s stuff, like there's something still there. Warrior is definitely something completely different, but what is it? What is it indeed? Um, <laughs> I would just say here we are again uh, trying to dig our way to the bottom of a Mobius strip <laughs> with this Warrior versus Creative thing. So yeah. Uh, we're just digging in a circle. Um, <laughs> there's nothing down there, so like, there's no clues. There's no, there's no it. There's no substance. It's just keep digging. <laughs> oh my! Um, last thing on this promo, Jesse Ventura says no animal can survive an earthquake, and I'm starting to think nobody knows what an earthquake actually is yeah. in the WWF. So, <laughs> oh my! All right, Lord Alfred Hayes and Gene Oakland. <laughs> they're traveling through Africa now based on the map. They see Jimmy Snuka in the distance. Uh, they are confronted, and this was maybe my favorite bet. They're confronted by Slick and Akeem, who I guess is home in Africa. Cause he's the African dream. Uh, oh, they ask them for some directions. They give them bad directions, and Alfred Hayes uh, disregards them decisively. Um, Oakland ends up dumped in the river by Alfred Hayes, contrary to the narration where uh, Alfred Hayes is trying to save him. So... A little cognitive dissonance for you there. <laughs> underrated, strange but underrated is the relationship between Slick and Akeem. Absolutely, yes. We have not been super high on Akeem for various reasons, but uh, they do go together very well in a weird way. Yeah, he he's a less is more. Like I I like him just kind of being there with Slick. <laughs> the way he moves, the way he kind of like points weirdly when Slick <laughs> points, and just he's. He's an interesting accessory to Slick. We'll say yes, that for sure. Absolutely. So we go back to the ring. This is the final match. It is Buddy Rose versus Kerry Von Erich in one of the strangest ways to kind of introduce somebody I've seen <laughs> since the LOD. Yes, in one of these, uh, yes, yeah, since a few minutes ago with LOD. You're right. Um, yes, Kerry Von Erich, um, yeah, he's here. He's kind of in this last match, which you were sort of supposed to turn off the TV already before you watched it. So uh, if you're still watching, I don't know if you did it right. But uh, it's nice to see him. I, I don't have any beef with Kerry Von Erich. I think he, uh, it, weirdly, it's like a better version of Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Because, like, he's got the same physique. He's got the same hair, even. But uh, he's not as clumsy. He's not as dangerous. Um, I kind of like him more. He's not amazing. But uh, I think he's good. And this is remembering the fact that this is a guy who's wrestling without one of his feet. Like, he lost a foot in a mm. motorcycle accident in 86. So... Anything you see him doing there that he does well, you got to remember he's doing it with a pretty noticeable handicap. So uh, I got some respect for Kerry Von Eric. I think he does a good job here, um, and I got to praise Buddy Rose as well. I'm gonna let you jump in first. Yeah, I I thought this was simple. I think that he hasn't even become Texas Tornado in the full way that he's gonna be in WWF for better or worse. So well, it they seems said like his real name. So yeah, he's not really there yet. His yeah, this seems like should be a dark match. <laughs> Yeah, it did. It did, actually. So It's weird because you, you have to make the warrior comparison, especially when you see his face, his physique. 
But when you see him from behind and he's bent over, kind of stalking, he looks kind of like Brad Armstrong. So he's a very interesting uh, mix of things. I don't know him as well. Like, you know, he's another one that I'm not going to say that much about because I know he probably did big. Like, he, you know, Flair and Von Eric, for example, sold out, you know, amazing in Texas. So uh, stuff I haven't watched or either haven't watched in a long time. So I'm just going to talk about what I see here, which is. Something that's not bad. It's not necessarily really that good to me. It's almost like it feels like if you told me this was his tryout match and it was a dark match, I would be more convinced than it being on Saturday Night's main event. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, everyone, Eric. Yeah, of course, has huge history in Texas and uh, world class championship wrestling that uh, you and I are not privy to so much. No, it'll maybe a little more by reputation than by watching it, but uh, right. certainly an enormous star in that area in that family. Um, he's here finally in the WWF. Uh, they even credit him as coming from one of the best wrestling families. Yeah. So that is that that that's something. They give some recognition to uh, reality there. Yeah, I, I don't know when he's not going to be Von Erich anymore, but for now, I guess. <laughs> I'll say this though: if this were a tryout match, I know who I would give a bigger role to in the future, and that is Buddy Rose, um, a man that you and I, uh, I believe, yes. we both very much love. Uh, I got a huge Adrian Adonis vibe yes. from Buddy Rose here because he's another guy who uh, he's kind of gained a lot of weight from kind of his uh, maybe he, what you would call his peak. And yet he bumps around so gracefully and he's so good at what he does. Like you couldn't possibly hold it against him unless you were Vince and you had to go on and on about how he's a hippo and an elephant. So <laughs> he, he's so impressive. I don't understand why he didn't do something more specific in the, in these eras somewhere, but yeah. he's, he's great to watch. He really is. And he does the Andre tribute tied up in the rope spot. And uh, he even adds to it because after he gets untied, he kind of like sits back, falls through the, the second and the bottom rope and crashes down on the floor. And man, that's just one of the best heel spots I could have thought of. That's some Harley race level heel bumping right there. Um, just, just great stuff. I, I love Buddy Rose huge star in the Portland territory. It's funny. It's kind of like two big territory stars are fighting here, but neither one of them kind of gets recognized as such very much. But um, still, it's some very good stuff. I I did enjoy this match for what it was. Yeah, we get the spinning uh, Texas tornado punch uh, to end the matchup. (laughs) Which Ventura points out is an illegal move, which Vince tries to deny uh, feebly. It's weird because not only... I would think you would not hire Kerry Von Erich while Warrior was your world champion. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I guess they just kind of wanted to hire everybody. Like, I don't know, just so he doesn't go to WCW, maybe? Like, I don't know. Yeah, They're going to be on the same team as Survivor Series. Yeah, they will. They will. I looked that up as well. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. If, if Hulk Hogan was champion, this would not be happening. Like, Kerry Von Erich would not have gotten the door if he, if he was to, if he was to Hogan. What he like? What he is the warrior? But I think warrior wouldn't even understand that. So <laughs> I think not. And I really wonder if warrior ever had the same clout that uh, Hogan did yeah. there. So there, there's something to that. So we got that. Then we go back to Jesse Ventura, who is with Rick Rude and um, Bobby Heenan. And this is where this was worse than the opening promo to me yeah. because uh, they cannot stop talking about animals to the point where I feel like they barely mentioned SummerSlam in any meaningful way. Like, I'm sure they said the word SummerSlam once or twice, but, man, they wanted you to know all about animals. That was kind of, like, the main goal of the promo, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well said, because 
even Ruth says a caged animal is a scared animal. So are you gonna like you can you can convince me of a lot of things about the Ultimate Warrior, but like that he's scared is not one of them. He might be too dumb to be scared, but he's not scared. So I, I don't don't waste my time with that. Uh yeah, I didn't really get into that either. And then yeah, we finish with Warrior, who is definitely more back in his original mode. He circles Sean Mooney. Uh, at least he does not menace him. And yeah. he does not fully turn his back to the camera, so we're still seeing minor improvements. But uh, he whispers, he screams, and I don't really know what he said. So, y- yeah, that's why. I tried so hard because <laughs> I thought we were getting clues. He said, you asked me to take my powers, those that I command. So there are powers that he commands, but then I couldn't hear the next part. Then he says, I think that the power and the visions and the fuel that they give me, meaning the little warriors... So I guess he gets it from them, kind of like Hulkamania, but I didn't, I didn't know that fully either. I thought he got it from somewhere else. And then he says, to confine them. So I guess the cage would confine that, but then he whispers again, so I don't know where that went. <laughs> and then that was it. Uh, sacrifice the pilots. You know, it's just <sighs> warrior nonsense. So what can you do? So that was, again, the the, the kind of last sell for that, ma- for that match at SummerSlam. And they're saying that Warrior's a scared animal based on nothing when he dominated them, and nobody's going to believe that. And then Warrior, you can't hear half the promo, so you don't even know what he was saying. Yeah, I think maybe kind of to your point earlier, it was not the point of this show to sell SummerSlam because they, mm. they did not talk about it very much. Like, just based on watching the show, we're, we're probably less than a month before SummerSlam, and besides Rude and Warrior, Hogan and Earthquake, I don't think I'd know one thing that was on that card. I don't think I'd buy it for those two matches, so... <laughs> You know, I don't know. Man, it's strange. So SummerSlam is the one, weirdly, and maybe because I've been away for so long, but every year we get to a SummerSlam, I I have no idea what's going to be on it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can ruin this for me if you know off the top of your head. But I was thinking, next year Hogan's going to be champion again. What is 91 SummerSlam? Oh, man, it's the match made in hell, my friend. Oh, yes. (laughs) Are we that close? Yeah, we're that close. Hogan and Warrior against Slaughter, Sheik, and that other guy, whatever his name is. Okay, so that's kind of going to be the kind of dividing line. I think that's where the Ultimate Warrior gets fired. Yes, yes, that will be his last match for for a while. Uh, We won't have to see him anymore. We'll never have to see him uh, beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania, as some say he was going to do. Oh, (laughs) That probably would have happened, because they said that they were, Paul Barrett said they were doing massive business across the, around the world with The Warrior and and Undertaker. I can believe them doing it. It's very easy to see that that could have happened, so, yeah. I'm shocked Undertaker didn't lose somewhere at the beginning. Like, they they stumbled (laughs) into one of the best things that they ever had with that streak. I mean, how... How much must they have thanked their lucky stars later that the Giant Gonzalez match ended in a DQ in favor of Undertaker? Mm. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Oh man. That's how close. And it's also, if I'm not mistaken, WrestleMania 7 is the first one. So we're, we're at the doorstep of that. Yeah, so yep. yeah, he'll be on, he'll be on Survivor Series as well. Yep, that's his debut. He'll beat Snuka at uh, WrestleMania. So that'll be the start of a long, Long journey with The Undertaker. We have somehow gotten closer to what's to come than than what has been before us, and it's finally here, and we we are at the doorstep. (laughs) We are getting close. Uh, Alfred Hayes, Jim Okerlund, and a monkey finish us off for this show, and then uh, it is SummerSlam next. we got the Rockers taking on Power and Glory, 
And mm. I got to wonder, because to me, something about that says, like, are we actually getting close to the breakup? I'm not sure. I can't remember if it's this year or next year that they break up. It's 91. Okay, it's 91. So we got to I saw that in real time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Still, though, something about that feud tells me we're getting we're getting towards that moment. Um, we have Perfect versus Texas Tornado for that Intercontinental mm. title. So we'll see uh, how the tornado progresses there. We will see uh, Tito Santana and the Warlord, Demolition and the Hard Foundation, Jake Roberts versus Bad News Brown in what might be our goodbye to Bad News Brown. Mm. I hope not, but it might be. Um, yeah, Dusty Rhodes will take on Randy Savage. Don't get excited. It's one-on-one, but uh, I'll just say don't get excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, we got our main events, which is uh, Earthquake and Hogan and Warrior and Rude. So uh, a lot to see at SummerSlam. I have no idea how I'm going to feel about this show. I never saw the full thing, just a few matches here and there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. After WrestleMania 6, I'm excited to watch another pay-per-view to see how close they are in line together or, you know, is it different? You know, how's it compare? Because I could see it being better and I could see it being about, you know, kind of in the same vein as, as WrestleMania six. <laughs> Absolutely. Could easily see that happen. So, uh, I don't know. We will find out, uh, hopefully next week. I believe next week. I think we're back on the weekly schedule, uh, everything permitting. So I think so. All right. Excellent. All right, that's really all I've got on this show. Anything else you want to say before we wrap it up here? No, I think we're in interesting times. I think my surprise in this episode is how close we are to some of the things that I've been looking forward to. So we're about a year out. 90, late 91, 92 is one of my favorite eras ever, so we're getting close to that. Right now, though, we are kind of taking it as it comes because a lot of this still has some question marks on it for the both of us. Yeah, we're probably about exactly one year from where you really started uh, yeah. watching as a kid. So getting very close to some familiar territory. It's exciting. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed doing it. Uh, fun episode, I think. I hope you'll check out uh, all the other great programs on LOP Radio and uh, all the great written material on LOPforums.com, WrestlingHeadlines.com. Uh, we do have a uh, writing tournament going on in the forum, so if you have any inclination to join that community, it's a great time to jump in. Uh, there's a great lot of people there to kind of talk about whatever you'd want to write, have those conversations with you. Come join that conversation. Uh, last and definitely not least, if you want to reach out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Uh, give me a shout, give me a follow, and uh, yeah, we will definitely talk more about this era of wrestling and beyond. So that is all we've got. SummerSlam coming up next time. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature 